از ادام شخار و تاب تو بیشپت From the twisted, burning wreck, it looked like this. <laughs> yes, sir. That was the worst accident I ever seen. I get off right up here. Have a nice day. <laughs> Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent ya. seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of February, the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program on excursion into amusements of every fashion. Uh, thank you for coming along. It is Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12. 503-733-2970 if you'd like to uh, be part of today's program. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, ruminations, ponderings, amusements, whatever it is you uh, have today. 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, uh, Richie Bristol is uh, standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about whatever it is that might be plaguing your brain uh, on this uh, Wednesday. So uh, thank you for joining us. Here's what's coming up later on today. We'll talk to senior radio correspondent Lisa Deja. Oh, hold on. I like excess saliva. Wait a second. Are you slobbering? Just a little bit. Not so much drooling as it is just not maintaining complete control of my salivary activities. Anywho, uh, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us from the Hill today. We will talk a bit about uh, Barack Obama's speech last night, which I meant to watch. It's one of those things, 
that I'd fully intended to watch, and then I realized later I was just going to settle for watching David Gergen boil it down to about 90 seconds of recap later on. So I have only the vaguest sort of idea what he was saying. Apparently it was inspiring in some... So I hear. I, did, I didn't want to Vague kind of way, but see, that's what I've realized. Here's what I've realized about something like Barack Obama giving a speech last night. It's like in that book, that book, The Tipping Point, where they're talking about the, you know, the critical mass of people who need to do something or believe something or talk about something, and then they have sufficient influence that everybody begins doing it. You know, so it's like the cool kid at your school that begins wearing hush puppies, and then suddenly everybody's wearing hush puppies because that guy did. I realize that that's how it is now for, uh, you know, for, for something like last night where Barack Obama speaks. I didn't really need to watch it. I'll just wait and see what Chris Sneathan thought about it. And, you know, once Sneathan says, it was fantastic, you know, then I have a pretty good idea that it, that it went over very well. If Lisa, you know, Desjardins also concur, if she says that it was fantastic, then I know. So I think I'm going uh, to feel less compelled to watch all those things front to back. I'll just let other people tell me what to think. It's, uh, it's easy. Uh, Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will join us today as well. We're going to be talking about, yes, chimpanzees. Uh, let's see, uh, and CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will join us from Los Angeles. He's going to be talking about this. It, the, the thing about California and Oregon is that we are inextricably linked in a couple ways and on a few different issues. And one of those things was medical marijuana for a long time. It was, we were kind of going in lockstep in terms of advancing you know, the legality of that. But I think a guy just like skipped to the bottom of the page, was it yesterday, Monday? Some guy just introduced a bill just saying that they went like wanting to flat out legalize it. Uh, it says a yeah, California lawmaker wants to help dig the state out of its economic hole with pot. CNN's Jim Roop reports the hope is the recent budget crisis and state of the economy will help a bill aimed at legalizing marijuana. Blah 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 blah. Uh, probably not going to happen. But it, so we'll talk to him about that anyway because it's because uh, it's interesting and stuff. Let's see what else do we have today. Uh, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week will be in the studio with us later on. Uh, we will discuss uh, five amusing things you can do in Portland uh, without breaking the bank. Uh, we will have another pair of Watchmen passes that we will endeavor to give away today. We're going to go a different direction uh, with today's giveaway. Today we'll be doing trivia from the golden age of comics. Today, trivia from the golden age of the American comic book. And I'm going to finish uh, Watchmen today. I have it in my car. I'm already planning on going to a coffee shop after work. That's the commitment I put into this, Rick Emerson. I need to finish it. I'll see what one one needs to know the source material, Sarah. So there you go. Uh, how far uh, how far through it are you? I'm about halfway through. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. It is, and, but it, it takes longer to read than a normal book because you like want to soak in everything. You sit and look at the pictures, and yeah. you read like the behind the scenes, and it's just it, it is an amazing book. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's a full. It's an experience. It's pretty densely written uh, in, mm. in the best possible way, and I think Time Magazine actually said The Watchmen was one of the best hundred novels of the century. I think at the end, of, like in like in 2000 or 2001 or something, uh, Time Magazine put out this the hundred best novels of the 20th century, and I think Watchmen was like number 72. Mm. So yeah, it is uh, it is pretty great. Uh, that's the same guy, you know, Alan Moore who wrote Watchmen. He's the same guy that wrote V for Vendetta, and then he wrote From Hell which the Hughes brothers based their movie of the same name upon. And I actually tried to read From Hell, the graphic novel, but all the warnings about it were actually completely accurate. I think it was Bobby or Court, I think Bobby, who lent me his copy of From Hell. And he goes, hey, by the way, uh, you may get about 30 pages into this and decide not to read it because it just, uh, it's just going to make you feel dirty and broken inside. And I got, I got about 35 pages into In Hell. Uh, or to from hell, and surely, uh, sure enough, I just said like this. No, no, no. Thanks for me, and I just I closed it up, and I just uh, put a little note on top, said thanks, but no thanks, and I just left it back on his desk. So, anyway, 
Uh, so later on today, uh, we might even get to it uh, the end of this hour, beginning of the noon hour. Uh, we will have trivia from the golden age of the American comic book. Uh, for your uh, shot at a pair of Watchmen passes. And that's not for like the big cattle call everybody and his freaking brother screening. That's for the screening on Monday night. There's a finite number of tickets for that. So we'll try to get to that. Uh, penis Watch coming up today. Geek Watch coming up today. Uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com uh, will uh, share a few moments with us and uh, your phone calls. It's 503-733. What's up with my drool today? I'm sorry. No one wants to hear about that, but it's it's just it's what's going on in the life of Rick Emerson. Hmm. Maybe you're overly hydrated. Sometimes the... Uh, you know, we have that, that section of the program, which is the, what did we all do last night? This is more of a what am I doing right now, and I'm wondering it, why I've got all this excess liquid in my mouth. Maybe I need to uh, maybe I need to give myself a good corn starching. <laughs> Hello, Sarah Dillon. How are you? Hi. Oh, I wish I was doing better. I, I was wholesome last night. I like, went to bed early. haven't smoked any cigarettes. haven't done anything. And I woke up this morning, and I'm still sounding like this. Although, I think it's moving out. Like, it was here... It was like in my chest yesterday, and then today I think it's like more in my head. <laughs> Here's the hand motion you just did with that, which is fantastic. When you said, I think it's moving out, you kind of put your hands down at around shoulder height, and then you moved your hands up and then past your nose as though you were sort of... It's like you had some sort of... It's like you had a cold cream, and you were applying it from the sides of your neck all the way up to the tip of your nose yeah. and then out. But the great thing about that is is it illustrates, it's sort of a, one of those uh, artist rendering, it illustrates exactly how the phlegm is probably moving out of your body, mm -hmm. but your hand, your hand gestures imply that it's going to be at some point just erupting out of the front of your face uh, later on today. So, But you feel like it's traveling northward? I feel like... Do you have a runny nose? Not really. It's just all kind of hanging out. <laughs> is it inside your sinus it's cavity? It's inside my head. Everything's I, inside your head. Yes, so. it's all in my head. But is it in your, like in a sinus cavity? Like it, yeah, it's it, like right here and then like my glands right here feel a little swollen. So it like basically feels like it's centered like right there. Here's the question. I don't, it's not that I don't know what glands do, but I don't know. Like, first of all, people always go, oh, my glands are swollen. And you, you, feel, you want to feel my glands? They're really gross. No. No, but thank you. I appreciate the it's offer. Swollen. No, I'm glad that we have that kind of relationship, but I'll pass. The, but, you know, but people always do. They go, well, my glands are swollen, and they always point to that same place, which is right on the underside of your jaw, sort of diagonal from your ear. My question is, what the hell is wrong with those glands? Those glands are always... None of your other, none of your other glands are ever swollen, right? Unless you got the cancer or something. And then you got something else that swells, probably. But, I mean, yeah, because it's, it's just these two glands every time. Isn't your whole body them. full of glands? You have glands everywhere. I think pituitary so. glands and uh, adrenal glands and uh, thyroid uh, glands, I think, or something. But it's just, uh, what are these glands right here underneath your jaw on the side of, you know, like underneath, sort of like midway, uh, like underneath your molars, basically, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like like on your neck, but underneath your molars. Those are always the glands that be, I, I think those glands may be the problem. I think you should just have those removed. Oh. Because every single time anybody gets sick, it's like, oh, my glands are all swollen. Mm -hmm. I think the glands may be it causing It always is every time that causes the most pain. All right. Well, I don't understand what the hell is going on with those. But it, And here's the other thing. I don't mean to gross everybody out, but I'm going to get these statements out before the lunch hour begins. When people get, uh, they feel sick or they're becoming ill or something, coming down with the, the flu or the whatnot, and they go, oh, my glands are all swollen. Is that one of those things, like your glands aren't swollen like they, they have a... Like they have a that's not like a pus thing, is it? I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, or is it like a, or is it almost like a, um, or are they swollen the way that like, um, 
I don't know, that like uh, that like a, like a bruising or something, or is it just like they're retaining water or whatever? I don't know. It's weird now that I think about it, especially because really I don't really know what they do. Maybe it's a salivary gland. Maybe I have swollen salivary glands, which is why I got all this excess saliva today. I don't know anything Are your about... Are glands swollen? No, but, I, but I'm drooling. We sound like the sexiest couple on earth. <laughs> Sarah's full of phlegm and I'm drooling. Yeah. That really is... Uh, this is going to suck today because every time I laugh, I cough. That's why we're the, uh, that's why this show is the darling of the Portland media, said Sarah. Oh, boy, are we. Sorry. Because of how beautiful we are. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Hello. Good. Uh, all right. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, I'm getting used to your eyebrows now. It's not I that they too, look bad. They're, they're bad. just, uh, you know, they do look very, they look very uh, androgynous, but that's okay. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they're pretty. I, I can get with that. All right. Can I get my Vancouver renting? Uh, well, hand it to me. Remind me to do it later. Okay. Here, he's doing a thing in Vancouver. He's going to be running for children. Or... You're going to how far? Five k. Five k. It's a whole thing. It's part of Richie <laughs> Bristol's like Good uh, for you you know, know. athletic makeover. Well, we'll talk about it. Later. I sat in my apartment for three hours and watched uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. What'd you think? I liked it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. It's a beautiful film. It's a great looking film. You know what I mean about how it looks. And it's just full beautiful. of pretty. Yeah, like yeah. Kate Blanchett's like the prettiest lady. She ever. really is. And then yeah, when Brad Pitt. Oh my God, when he's all like greaser man in the fifties. Riding the, the motorcycle. Riding the motorcycle. He's doing. The, he's like on the road. Uh, you know, Marlon Brando kind of Holy guy. Holy crap, yeah. yeah. He has yeah. never looked hotter. But, you know, here's the weird thing. I was watching Benjamin Button, and it, it, do you see what I mean when I when I say that, um, on the one hand, you notice the special effects of them making him younger, but on the other hand, you don't notice, because mm-hmm. it's not like you can go, oh, I see the wig. I see where the makeup well, is on. Because, like, every time he would get younger, I'm like, okay, that's what he looks like now. Wait, you kept that's trying to figure out his real age. Exactly, the whole time, because I'm like, okay, wait, maybe that's him. But he looks a little, like, more haggard than I thought. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. well, you know, the years are passing by, and then... Yeah, I still I couldn't figure out when he was actually himself. I think they did that intentionally. By the way, I don't think any of those looks are his actual age now. Yeah. I think they. I think even in Benjamin Button, when he is playing whatever age he is in real life, because he's what like forty, maybe forty-two. I think so. Yeah. So let's say let's say Brad Pitt's forty. I don't think when they showed him at that age in Benjamin Button, they made him look like he is now. I think he he they altered him even at that age because they never wanted you to be able to go, oh, that's him right now without any makeup. Mm. Uh, it's pretty great. It's it's it a, it's cool. a great movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's yeah it's not perfect, but it kept my attention the entire time, and it's like you know almost three hours long. I really did like that uh, that subplot of him with Tilda Swinton or whatever her name is, the mm-hmm. uh, the, the 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 diplomat's wife that he's having the affair with, and uh-huh. that mysterious like weird hotel thing in the middle of Siberia or wherever the hell they that were. That was so strange. Like Sometimes surreal. I got a little lost in the story. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you saw it. It's a, yeah, mm. David Fincher doesn't make bad-looking films. I, it's not a perfect film, but it's such a beautiful movie to look at. I mean, and it sounds, that sounds like I'm... That sounds like I'm, like I'm insulting the film, but it really is just... The, the color palette and the way that every shot is set up and yeah, just the uh, the costuming. That's it's just, it. You're right, because it's right. pretty because the story sometimes gets lost on you, like with the yeah, dad and the yeah. buttons, and I'm like, what yeah. the hell's going on here? But it's here? never less than interesting, It's ever. never less yeah. than interesting, exactly. Like, it kept my attention, even if it was confused attention. Cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, uh, I definitely did. you got to see The Wrestler at some point. Uh, I will. Maybe with the, maybe with some friends around and, like, before you start drinking. <laughs> you know, like, you watch it alone in so your not, apartment. So not um, friends over wine night? Uh, like, wh- pre-wine night? Yeah, but I, and not like a day you're going to be sitting there, uh, you know, by yourself with no one to call afterward when you're depressed. Because uh, The Wrestler's a great film, but it's it's kind of a downer. It's kind of a kick in the junk. So you uh, you should check it out. Though. Yeah, good. even I, I watched Requiem for a Dream um, with a friend, and that was still yeah. Awful. It's, it's not that bad. It's All not you do nearly... is you find yourself crying in front of your friends. It's, like, oh, it's not nearly as bad as Requiem for a Dream. I don't think anything can be. No, Requiem for a Dream is just like having barbed wire uh, run through your soul. It's it's. I mean, it's a great film, but yeah, you don't want to watch that. Hey, by the way, we'll get some phone calls here in a moment. Um, 
And then I, we have a couple clarifying questions to ask about the, some stuff that came up yesterday, and then we'll break. And then we got Dave Schmidtke coming up later on. So it's going to be a fantastic program. Oh, Kelly Clark as well. Kelly Clark is going to be here as well. Oh, by the way, and I should say this. So I look terrible today, and I'm not fishing for compliments. I'm just saying I look bad. Here's why. A, well, I overslept last night, and my hair's all thatchy and bad, and it, and I'm just and I and I have a wrinkly shirt on, so I'm covering up with a sweater. So it, I went to bed way way early for me last night. Uh, I went to bed at around 11:15. Ooh, that's not good. Went to bed at 11:15. You know what time I woke up this morning? 8:45. I don't know how long that is. What is that? That's is that eight and a half hours? No, that's nine and a half hours. Nine and a half hours. So I went to, and I didn't wake up once. I went to bed at 11.15. All right, I'm going to go to bed. And then Laura uh, was actually home sick from work today. And she's like, 8.45. She's like, hey, it's 8.45, jackass. Are you going to go to work? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. But, oh, I hate self. Wish to die. And it's that thing. Of, and I had some stuff I had to get done this morning. Mm-hmm. I had some things that I, I mean, we got a pretty... Uh, you know, not that there's stuff to do, but, you know, the, one of the things about working in radio is, as they always, like, they joke about in the computer industry, you can work any 80 hours you like. Like, there's stuff to get done, but you you got a pretty flexible schedule in radio sometimes. You know, you can usually get things done on your own schedule, in your own time frame. But there's some stuff I had to get done this morning. So I got at 8.45, I'm like, oh, Christ, oh, for the love of God. You know, I'm walking through the house, and it's that thing where you just want to die, because you realize that you're going to be late regardless. Like, there is no getting to work on time. That that's that's the really the suck is on a day when you realize no matter how fast you go you're still going to be late because you're already late mm-hmm. and I'm like oh I got to shave and I got oh, oh crap where's my oh it's wrinkly oh, I'll put on the sweater oh the sweater's covered in lint and it's just like one bad thing after another um, so I came in today so I'm wearing the sweater to cover up the wrinkly shirt and. I'm doing nothing to cover up my terrible hair day because I didn't wash my hair, and so I've got it's, it's like the bad, weird. It's like a cowlick sticking in every direction today. So, and uh, so I'm glad that Kelly Clark's going to be here, sitting right next to me. Ooh, and I've got a client meeting this afternoon too, so that'll be great. Uh-huh. Hi, this is Rick Emerson. He does our midday show, and I'll be like, oh, hello, I'm coming to Greece. Eight rules. <laughs> anyway, so it's just going to be fantastic. But um, what was my point? Uh, we, so we got to some some clarifying things about yesterday we'll get to, and then we've got uh, Dave Schmidtke coming in uh, as well. We could take some mystery calls, I suppose. Let's do it. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Hey, uh, Rick, what? it's uh, Arizona Frank. What's Hello, up, sir? Sarah. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Hey, good, I'm doing good. Hey, just uh, an observation. Uh, this morning, the, the hour preceding the live show, had some of Mr. Riley on there, and i got to tell you, missed the guy very much. So just wanted to tell you guys that. Wait, what? what? Wait, hold on a second. What's up? So you, are you saying the recap hour had some Tim Riley in it? Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. We love we love Tim Riley, but that shouldn't be the case. Richie, what is up with that? No, I was sitting in here. I didn't hear any Tim. Were you listening online, sir? I was listening online, yes. Uh, at what time? Uh, you know, just right before the show went on the air, uh, within 10 minutes or so of the show going on the air. Oh, you know, uh, the, the recap hour doesn't stream. That's why. The, reca- ah. the recap hour that we do here in Portland. Okay, I was confused for a second. The recap hour that plays from 10 to 11, that does not stream. Uh, so what you get during some segments of the of the, the broadcast day, like during... I think during Dennis Miller, because he doesn't, we don't, we don't stream his show because he has his own site where he does that, where he charges for it. So, uh, right. during some of those hours, we just do, we have a whole bank of archived shows from way back when, and so we just oh. cycle through those randomly. That's why. Okay. 
Well, yes. uh, anyhow, just uh, okay. Just my, my heart kind of kind of missed them. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, secondly, your your conversation about glands. Actually, glands are your friends. Uh, you know, there are such things as well, mammary glands. And then, of course, the lymph nodes, which I think is what you were talking about, right underneath your your jaw. Yeah. They, yeah. they kind of act as a filter, and so they filter out. Uh, impurities in the blood, and that's why they swell up. They're actually, that's a good thing. So they're like they're, a working... ti- they're like two tiny little livers on either side of my throat. Well, yes, uh, yeah. Actually, they're probably like a. I don't know if you've ever seen a gas filter in a in a, in a car. It's, it's it's kind of that same concept. It's your bloodstream, and it's their all their job is to basically filter stuff out. So okay. when people get cancer in their lymph nodes, that's a really bad thing because then, of course, they can't do their work. Then the so. dying. Yeah, then the dying. And then lastly, if I may, I don't know if you get a chance to ask somebody, but I think the the best line I heard last night uh, recapping uh, Bobby, is it Jindal, Jindal, uh, the response yes, to the Republicans yes, yes. to, to uh, Obama's thing, was uh, Chris Matthews on, on uh, MSNBC said basically, I think it is, I'm paraphrasing, he said something like Republicans outsourced their response. Which I thought was a yeah. The uh, from what I understand, the Republican response was just kind of weak. I mean, it was just yeah. apparently it was apparently lame. So um, I'll well, we'll have Lisa's going to tell us more about it. So we'll get the recap from her on that. Yeah, so anyhow, best show ever, and uh, miss you guys, and uh, hope you're having as sunny a day as we're having here in Arizona. All right, thank you, sir. <laughs> Take All care. Right. Hi, here on the Rick Emerson show. What's up? Hey, Rick, it's Jim. Thanks for taking my call. How's Hello, your sir. day going? Fantastically, sir. How can Good I deal. assist you? Well, hey, yesterday you made uh, reference to uh, knowing all of the uh, characters of uh, Three's Company. And um, I just wanted to ask you, do you remember Jenny Lee Harrison? Yeah, Jenny Lee Harrison, who played Cindy. She, she played Cindy. You know, whatever happened to her, and wasn't she the smokingest girl in that whole series? Jenny Lee Harrison played Cindy Snow, who was Chrissy Snow's cousin. And she was after Chrissy Snow, and she was before Terry, who was the nurse. And uh, Jenny Lee Harrison, in addition to uh, playing Cindy Snow on Three's Company, then went on to star in a series of infomercials, most notably for the Sobakawa pillow, which is a pillow filled with buckwheat husks. And I'm not making any of this up. You know, uh, if if you had one of her bra cups filled with nickels, you'd be a wealthy man. I'm going to begin using that phrase frequently. All right. Thank love, you, sir. Love the show. Thanks for all your fun stuff. Thank you, my friend. There you go. All right. Uh, no bra time cups for... full of nickels. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for a new unit of measurement, so there, there you go. go. Uh, no time to take another call here. So uh, if you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get to you around the corner. Coming up, Lisa Desjardins, as well as Steve Kastamon, Dave Schmidtke, and uh, your chance at was- uh, Watchman Passes. We'll be doing uh, trivia from the golden age of comics coming up today. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Hold on. I'm going to turn my head and cough. <laughs> you keep having to do the same thing. God, we're just like we marinating rule. it here. All right. 
Uh, we're playing through the pain, sir. We sure are. I was going to say that I don't want to make everybody else sick, but everybody else is already sick. And somebody else may be sick. James is out yesterday. Point. James is out today. My wife is sick. So. Well, I've been Lysoling the crap out of things. You should just Lysol your face. Uh, you know, just to be... Mm, you know, just to be, sweet, sweet Lysol. Just be on the safe side. Well, at least you're using those Lysol... Uh, those Lysol... God damn it. <laughs> and by the way, this is not me <laughs> coughing because I'm sick. It's like I... During the break... I made the mistake of eating something, which, you know, I don't ever do. Oh, you never do. I never do. But it was like I had this, uh, you know, like a, like a, one of those things, like a protein bar thing I see this morning. And I, the, like the completest part of me was irritated that because I was prepping and I came in here and I left like a tiny little bite of the protein bar unfinished. So it was sitting on my desk. I'm like, I can't eat everything but one bite and then just let it sit there. So I actually had to go back and finish it because just the, the idea of not <laughs> finishing it. in you. <laughs> yeah, so now now I've got that. And I didn't get a chance to really swallow it all the way. So now i got that. And, you know, protein bars are sometimes, they're kind of chalky. Yeah. You know, and so now, hold on a second. got to uh... swig some delicious viso. Ah, there we go. <clears throat> all right. Fantastic. I bet people are just enjoying listening to us today. <laughs> we are fantastic, Sarah. Uh, you know, here's the thing about you and your Lysol, though. At least you're using the Lysol wipes, like the sort of handy wipes or yeah. whatever, because you won't remember this, but every engineer who's over the age of 35 will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that for many, many, many years, I mean, just ever since Lysol and radio stations both you know, existed, you would always have this big-ass can of uh, of Lysol that would just sit in every radio studio. And I mean like the big industrial size can. And every idiot DJ would do exactly... I cannot tell you how many times I would walk into a radio studio and there'd be just some jackass uh, DJ sitting there with a can of Lysol because, of course, don't want to get sick. I don't want to catch the, uh, you know, I don't want to catch the flu or the cold or whatever. And that guy who does, uh, you know, mornings, he was in here coughing up a storm. I'm going to take care of that. And you'd see the guy just spraying the can of Lysol directly into the microphone. Mm. Engineers love that, by the way. Especially into something like this, the uh, Electro Voice RE20, the finest vocal transducer known to man. This microphone costs... This is why they hate us, by the way. I'm speaking to you uh, through this microphone, which costs $650. Right there. So, And I think that's used. So, in any of it, But you just see the jock with the Lysol, like... <laughs> What are you doing? I'm cleaning the microphone. And then you would go up and you would touch the microphone with your mouth. Like you go to talk to it, you know, you, like the windscreen or whatever, you know, you, like you're kind of talking right into it. And you'd like, you'd like brush it or touch it and you'd realize, oh God, it's covered in Lysol. Uh -huh. And the only alternative to that is to have it be covered in germs and bits of that guy's bagel. Mm -hmm. I used to have a man, there used to be a guy who did the show right in front of me. I do afternoons, the mid, the guy was always eating while he was on the air. You come on the microphone and have bits of bagel on it. Oh, that's... It's the really worst wrong. thing ever. <laughs> Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Radio rules. From the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hey, Radio rules. It really does. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, I'm fantastic. I'm a little... Uh, Although, maybe a little rumpled? I, I'm a little rumpled. I'm wearing a wrinkled shirt. I'm having a terrible hair day. <laughs> and I'm ever so slightly crazy because I got way too much sleep. So there you go. Wow, yeah. that is a really that is a strange combination. It's a it's a fantastic confluence of things that is uh, it's manifesting itself yeah. externally as genius. <laughs> I got nothing more to add. All right, well let's let's talk about uh, Barack Obama's speech last night, and I'm going to say yeah, this right now. Yeah. I saw about 12 seconds of it. That's <laughs> that's it. I saw about 12 seconds, and I just 
you know, I love political theater, and I love, uh, you know, I love following just the sort of, uh, just the, I love following just the sort of dramatic aspect of the whole thing, and then seeing how people respond. But I, I realized last night that I just, I just didn't care. Not, I'm not saying I don't care in general. Just last night, for whatever reason, I just, it was like on, you know, you're working on your computer, and as you're trying to close a program, and it won't, and so you do the Control Alt Delete, and it says attempting to, con- you know, to close program, and there's the status bar, and then sometimes it'll say. Unable to close program manually, you may need to restart your computer. Last night it was like attempting to care about Barack Obama's de facto State of the Union speech. Ooh, not able to care. So you tell me uh, what what I mean. What were the high points that I might have missed? He covered a good dozen uh, serious topics, uh, and he uh, he said everyone in America should have at least one year after high school of education. He also says he's gonna. Start, he wants he wants Congress to pass a cap and trade bill to cut down our carbon emissions, and he also said he's launching a new loan program uh, to help consumer loans like auto loans, those kinds of things. And he said, I thought notably that that program could cost as much as Congress has already allocated for everything else. Yeah, that's so great. We he's should loan. We've got some more money to spend. We yeah. should loan Americans money left and right. That's that's really what Americans <laughs> need right now is more yeah, people and if we don't loaning. Have the details themselves. of that. No, no details. I'm not sure what he meant, but yeah, that's what it sounded like. How about the, I mean. Ah, never mind. Never mind. It's just going to come out as cranky. I just don't understand. Americans, look, can I just, Americans are a bad credit risk. Americans really, uh, it seems to me at this point, need to take, oh, I don't know, like a 50, number one. Right. 50 or 60 year moratorium from borrowing money from people. Uh, it just seems uh, just seems like a bad idea. When he says that everybody in America should have one year of education after high school, uh, what, is, what does that mean? That's a weird number to pick, one year of education. Well, he, what is he talking about? I think, well, he said either uh, one year of higher education, like college, or, or it could be a year of career training. So I, I guess that means basically what he's saying is, all right, America, go get some new skills. And, and he also he laid it out for the high school dropouts. He said that will no longer be acceptable. In fact, he kind of he made it a duty, really, to get a high school education. He said, you know, if you're dropping out of high school, you're not just quitting on yourself. You are quitting on your country. So there you go, high school dropouts. That's for you. Well, all right, Quitter. fair enough. <laughs> As for the Quitters never win and winners never quit, Lisa. Uh, never quit, really? Uh, what's that? Isn't that what they I say? Didn't know that. Isn't that the thing they say? Winners never quit, quitters never win. I guess that makes sense. Quitters uh, never win. Yeah, yeah. That's like know. one of those, you know, work your plan, plan your work uh, kind of thing. So, um, and then, yeah, and to what extent did he did he say was this? Because I understand it was trying to be he was trying to be more positive, so it wasn't going to be like a lot of well, we're all was, doomed. It, yeah, it was a big rallying speech. Yeah, America is going to be stronger. We can overcome this. We have to do it together. Uh, but but we're going to get there. It was it was a very very rah-rah speech for sure. And, I, and you know, the polling afterwards showed 80% of Americans uh, felt better, you know, that we polled after the speech. So he, he got it done. I mean, but I do think that it's a tricky time right now because now politicians can say whatever they want. The fact is Americans are waiting to see what happens, and that's what's going to matter. Is there any movement? I mean, this is sort of unrelated, but it's sort of related. Is there any movement on... What is going to become of our good friends, the auto industry? Uh, because this is sort of Hobson's choice of either helping them out, and they're still going to, you know, which means we're going to be in further in hock giving them money, and they're still going to be firing people, or yeah. not helping them out, you know, which means that they might go under and they fire everybody. Do we know which which of those uh, well, awful choices he's going to go with? He, he implied last night that he's, you know, we've got to keep helping the auto industry. And interesting line, he said, the country that invented the automobile 
essentially has to stand by it and can't let it fail. But a lot of people point out today that actually the first gas-powered automobile, Germany. So unclear if he was asking Germany to bail out the auto industry we didn't, or not. We didn't invent saltwater taffy, though, so maybe he can go bail so out go. Pony there Island. Yeah. And I feel bad. I got I to gotta scoot. Yeah, and it's, it's fine. And it's a busy day for everybody. So on that note, I, I will let you go. If you're on tomorrow, we'll catch up with you then. If not, then in the near future. Okay, great. All right, tomorrow. there you go. It's a Grand Central Station. Jesus. It was like the guy was in the background giving the final call to board the uh, the 109 to Pittsburgh. All right. Well, whatever. All right. There you go. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Here in a few moments, we'll talk to uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Katzenbaum and more. <clears throat> All right. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, let's uh, take our first crack at trying to give away some Watchmen passes. How Ooh. do you feel about that? I think that's Dylan? a genius Yesterday's idea. attempt was just a big abortion. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was just a big cluster F. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, our attempt to give away Watchmen passes, just it was full of suck and blow and fail. So uh, it didn't help, by the way, that the, that the... I think we did it twice, and I think that at least the second one we were trying to do it with just... Uh, Really, just brought almost nothing to the table. No offense if you're on stick on there. It was just it was a, it was a, it was a bad idea and then a, and then a bad attempt to fulfill that idea. So we're well, gonna, we can't make fun of her for having a bad response to a bad idea. Well, we can. I'm just going to make fun of myself as well. So uh, we'll take uh, we're going to do uh, trivia from the golden age of comics right now. Uh, this is for your shot at a pair of tickets to see Watchmen. The special screening coming up Monday, Monday, Monday. This is not the screening that everybody and their brother gets to go to. Is uh, and it, and let me also say this as we give out the phone number, which is five zero three. Seven three three two nine seventy five zero three seven three three two nine seventy five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We will take. I I am indeed going to go to it. I am. Yeah, I am completely there. So we will take caller five here, and uh, caller five will answer a trivia question from the golden age of American comics. And if you uh, can get that correct, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you will be uh, going to see the Watchmen special screening this coming Monday. So it's five zero three seven three three. 2970 that was the point that I was going to make. Oh, so this is not like some of those screenings where they they overbook it because you all have been to those where it's oh, like, God, yeah. you know where they like having this ticket is not necessarily a guarantee of admission because there's 70 seats in the theater and we've given out 5,000 tickets all over Lloyd Center. This is not that. They have not uh, overbooked it. They have not uh, overticketed. So this is um, if you get one of these, it really is like a Wonka ticket. Uh, you know, as far as the Watchmen screening goes, I'm trying to figure out what I, uh, what music I ought to be using. Wait, hold on. How about this? Thank you. I like that. This is the yes. Jeopardy theme. I've got that. Wait, how about this? I've got this. Let me see for uh, for an ad hoc music bed. I didn't really prepare a, uh, a. I didn't really prepare a comic bed. How about this one? This would be. This is the disco remix of the Friday the 13th 3 theme song. I kind of like the first one. You don't say. You don't feel like this has the. Uh, I feel like it will it'll distract from the glory that will be you know, people talking about you know the childhood cult. You're saying knowledge. the genius of this music bed is such that you wouldn't be able to focus on anything else. It would else. be so too overwhelming. <laughs> All right. Did you make this? No, this is um. Believe it or not, this is actually the theme they used for Friday the 13th 3. If you watch Friday the 13th 3D, this is actually the theme song. 
And it, it, I mean, it's crap. It's one of the worst things that's ever been made. But it does, it does seem like you ought to be hearing Vincent Price, you know, mm-hmm. doing his whole thriller. Like, thriller thing, yeah. The sound of getting down or whatever it is. All right. Well, we'll do this instead. All right. Yeah, that sounds cool. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll go to the phones for our first attempt to give away special Watchmen passes today. Uh, hello. Are you ready to play Golden Age of Comic Trivia? Yes. Yes, I am. All right, sir. All right, let me make sure that I've got this. You're going to hear a plonk. Hold on. There we go. Okay. This is your chance to see Watchmen, the special screening coming up this Monday night, uh, sir. And so what you will do is uh, you will answer this question. If your answer is correct, you will be seeing that, be uh, listening for details. We're going to be doing those uh, throughout the day and Thursday and Friday as well. All right. EC Comics. The distributor and creator of such iconic titles as Tales from the Crypt, Shock Suspense Stories, and Vault of Horror, used EC to stand for Entertaining Comics. Before EC Comics were Entertaining Comics, what did EC stand for? Oh, crap. I have no idea. Give it a shot. I will give you one more. I'll read the, the um, question one more time. Before EC Comics stood for Entertaining Comics, what did the EC stand for? Excellent. Good guess. Incorrect, though. All right. Okay. Thank you for trying, my friend. Uh, we'll do a couple more, and then we're not going to use this question again later because people will go get their Google on. So, mm-hmm. uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Who might this be? This is Barbara. Hi, Barbara. How are you today? Thank you. All right, Barbara, you're going to get a chance at the same question. Before EC Comics stood for Entertaining Comics, what did the EC stand for? I drew a blank just like the other guy did. <laughs> Would you care to guess? Elephant, maybe? Say that again? <laughs> I just, you know, Would you care to guess, Barbara? And then you said something else, and I didn't hear what it was. I was just suggesting you might pick something probably incorrect but amusing, like uh, eggplant or elephant. <laughs> okay, I'll take uh, excitement. No, but uh, that is. I see now that I should have just ended it. Uh, all right, no, thank you, Barbara. A, a good attempt, but uh, incorrect. All right, thank you. We'll do one more. All right. It's going so much better than yesterday. <laughs> and it's amusing me, at least. Uh, hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who might this be? This is Michael. Hi, Michael. How are you today? I was really hoping you were going to switch the question. And yet, no. All right, this is the uh, the final uh, shot here. Uh, before EC Comics stood for Entertaining Comics, what did the EC, EC, of course, publisher of such titles as Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, what did the EC stand for? I have no idea. I'll just say Emerald. All right, see, these are all these are all good guesses, mm-hmm. except for uh, the last one. But, uh, you know, uh, no, also incorrect. All right, thank you for the attempt, sir. We appreciate it. All right, there you go. There's that guy. I'll do one more, actually, because we're 30 seconds ahead of Steve here. So we'll do one more. Um, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, what is your name? My name is Rick. Rick. All right, Rick. Before EC Comics were entertaining comics, what did the EC stand for? I'm just going to guess evil. No, but that would have been great if only they had stood for evil. Evil's actually way better than entertaining comics. EC, publisher of Evil Comics. Now, the correct answer was educational comics. Educational comics because largely their line consisted largely of uh, tales from the Bible, and then they do occasional little uh, public service pamphlets about how not to get syphilis. So, there you go. All right, thank you for the attempt, sir. There you go. All right, well, we will uh, endeavor later on today to give away a pair of uh, passes uh, to um, 
to a pair of passes to the Watchmen screening uh, coming up this coming Monday. So uh, we'll attempt that later on. Ladies and gentlemen, from New York City. CNN radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you today, brother? How's life? Okay. Taking it easy. All Laid right. back. Not, not pushing myself too hard today. Well, you know what? It's uh, Sometimes it's okay to just come in and just do your work and finish your work and go home and then drink numerous, numerous, numerous alcoholic beverages. Yeah. I, I, you know, you, every once in a while, you you got to give yourself a break. You know, <laughs> do what's expected of you. But not uh, not drive yourself crazy. You know, you know? Steve, uh, you have to take time for Steve. Steve. Exactly. Remember, you are a child of the universe. You have a right to be here. And whether you can hear it or not, the universe is expanding as it should. Uh-huh. Okay. Hey, did you, speaking of the universe, did you see the story on CNN today about uh, life on other planets? Uh, on, on, wait, on what? On CNN? On CNN.com and NASA's efforts to discover life on other planets out there. One of the, I don't understand how you uh, attempt to discover life on other planets. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a, yeah. it seems like you look down and there's either like there's either roads and you know like a shopping mall being built or there or there isn't. Unless there's their thing of like you're trying to discover like lichen or something that exists underneath the, the you know the crust of some planet that's nine skillion miles from us. Apparently both. They're looking for that and evidence of intelligent life. And so what's so what I find so funny about this is you know they, they put together a multi-billion dollar you know effort to send another satellite telescope out into uh, outer space right to search for life but it's all based on these computer models that they put together where they put in all the data right and all the variables and then they ask it to tell them could there be earth-like planets around other stars out in the Milky Way, out in the, in the galaxy, right? Right. So, I mean, you're already creating the answer you want, aren't you? If you put in the data in such a way that it, it, it produces, it produced like over 300 possible. They, they believe that the data, the computer told them, the supercomputer told them that in all likeliness, there's probably 360 some odd other planets out there that are Earth-like that could sustain some form of life. Uh, Sarah Dillon actually just handed this to me. This is the story you're, you're referring to by A. Pawlowski. As NASA prepares to hunt for Earth-like planets in the corner of our Milky Way galaxy, there's new buzz that... Look, I'm just going to say this once more for the record. Uh, you know, somebody... Uh, I'm not just singling out CNN for this. Somebody needs to get everybody a copy of, like, a style guide or Strunk and White or something so that people can figure out once and for all the difference between what is italicized and what is put inside quotation marks. It's not oh. that difficult. Vision yeah. of a universe full of life may not be that... Uh, boy, this is, no offense, Steve. This is so badly written. Pointy-eared aliens traveling at light speed are staying firmly in science fiction, but scientists are offering fresh insights into the possible existence of inhabited worlds and intelligent civilizations in space. And so this is the article you're talking about, where they're setting up the parameters to, in other words, to give them the result they want. Um, I have three observations to make about this. One, don't you figure that with all of the space funding having been cut i mean it's like you know i was talking to mccarthy about how they i think the space shuttle is done right aren't we done with the space shuttle isn't, isn't that finished pretty soon you know i have a cousin who's actually uh, uh an aerospace engineer who's working on the next generation 
uh, spacecraft. Yeah, they, they have to phase it out. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. So I think, and I think a lot of, I think the the, the budget for space exploration is going to get cut anyway because we got this, you know, the, the recession and the, you know, the, just you know, we owe the Chinese like nine hundred quintillion dollars or something. So I mean, the cuts are coming. So I think scientists are probably thinking, wait a minute, hold on though. But what if, um, what if, what if there's life on another planet somewhere? Well, we don't know that, Bob. I know, but what if I were to create some sort of a computer program that says it's probably possible? Well, give it a shot. I mean, that's that seems to be what this is. This is a whole lot of uh, please don't get rid of my grant uh, uh, journalism here. Also, that's just my assessment, of course. Uh, also, can we get rid of the term supercomputer? So that, uh, I, I don't even understand what that means, uh, a supercomputer. I think a supercomputer was back when, like, you had an abacus at your house and there was a thing down the street that could uh, add two plus nine, but it only took a second and a half to do it or something. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this desktop computer that I got here in front of me, which cost about $350, I think is probably more advanced than whatever it is they used to send us to the moon in 1969. So I think probably calling everything a supercomputer just because it's somewhere else in a big room is no longer really accurate. Your iPod is actually more uh, has more technolo- uh, is more powerful than the, than what they used to send the guys to the moon. Yeah, supercomputer sounds like a very very 1950s outdated term. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, you, uh, you picture this room in, in some IBM building somewhere with you know multiple real to real tape machines going. Totally, and it's got the big and it's got the big panel of um, square lights that are blinking for no readily apparent reason. Exactly. And a bunch of guys in white suit coats and like clipboards standing around it going. Well, that's very interesting. And then it makes a lot of, like, blooping and bleeping sounds. Right. Um, my final observation, just before we plunge on ahead, would be this. This is uh, just a little bit of an editorial uh, observation. Look, I'm all for science and learning and technology and so forth, but it does seem like, you know, if some guy is smart enough to figure out how to calculate if there's life on other planets and then smart enough to figure out how to get us there, it seems like maybe he's smart enough to be figuring out, like, oh, I don't know how we could build a better car, which seems like a more pressing uh, interest. It's not like I'm, I'm not opposed to science. I'm not opposed to space exploration. I'm not opposed to learning about the world around us. But just imagine if you were able to harness all those guys. All the, some guy. Well, I've, I've calculated the probability of landing on Pluto and of uh, being able to drill down to the core of the planet and being able to extract sufficient water to power our atmospheric regeneration machines. And like, <laughs> that's great. Why don't you work on a car that gets 60 miles to the gallon first? Why don't you, can you can take care of that? You can probably do that by tomorrow. You know, we could have that, by the way. You, you know the reason why we don't have cars that, that get that much uh, that, uh, mile per, miles per gallon. You, you know why. Does it have to do with fluoride? No. Uh, oh. It has to do with the fact that, you know, we all want to get up to highway speed in seven seconds. Because that's when most of your gas is, is when, you do, when you're at highway uh, uh, driving uh, mile per gallon uh, ratings. Most of your gas is is burned when you're trying to get up to that uh, you know 60 miles per hour on on the uh, approach ramp. Is that because you're like a uh, you're a lead foot like right out of the gate? Yeah, you you want you want a certain amount of torque and you want to get up to speed you know and merge in uh, very quickly. But you know if we were satisfied with getting up to 60 miles per hour in you know 11 or 13 seconds instead of instead of seven or whatever it is, it would actually increase uh, gas mileage uh, on. Um, on our cars, on the highway miles. I think a lot of people don't know that. I mean, I didn't know that. So, uh, I mean, I know if you're listening, like, part of it. if you're just mashing the accelerator down, that's that's obviously not good. But I didn't. You know what they got to do then? Your car to just come with a switch, uh, where the car just said, you know, with the switch says like 30 miles to the gallon, and then the other switch setting is 60 miles to the gallon, and then you set it to 60 miles a gallon, and, it's, and then and then there's a governor that is, uh, you know, that, that kicks into action that just uh, modulates your speed sufficient to to allow you 60 miles to a gallon.
Hey, listen, you know, I used to have a Volkswagen that was one of those, you know, lemons of a Volkswagen that you always hear Volkswagen owners talking about. And every once in a while, one of the cylinders would shut down because they had an oil leak in the engine. Right. You know, I kept moving. The, the, the computer shut down the cylinder, and the car kept going. I just didn't have as much pickup as, as I normally would if all four cylinders were operating. So, you know... There are ways around it. You just got to deal with a less powerful car. The key is just to disable part of your engine. Just to yeah. jam like a piece of bubble gum into one of the, uh, into one of the cylinders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I realize now this is actually not even remotely approaching what we're supposed to be talking about today, but who cares? Let's forget about it, yeah. I was, was going to say, because, he, look, he was going to be talking about this weird, this weird ugliness with uh, the New York Post and this, this cartoon about the stimulus bill and the dead chimpanzee. And, and it's all, you know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm done. It's just, it's just an ugly, unpleasant thing to talk about. So you know what? If everybody wants to read about it, then go online and do so. Um, I would say this. Here's the interesting thing also about when you're saying going zero to 60. I've gotten more than one ticket in my life for not breaking the speed limit, but for Ra- uh, what is it? Unacceptably, uh, unacceptably rapid attainment of speed, which means that I, you know, if the speed limit was 35, I never went over 35. I just got to like 34 too quickly. There's actually a ticket for that. Uh, well, they gave it to me and I paid it. So that seems like it seems like either there is or they just claimed there was, and I didn't know any better and didn't want to fight the man. Uh, especially when I was younger, I didn't want to. You know, I just paid those tickets. I didn't even bother to fight him. That sounds like a police officer who was, you know, itching for a little scratch on the side. Probably, you know, uh, you know like maybe, uh, maybe. Well, and let's be honest. At the time, I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to impugn uh, our good friends in blue, but let's be honest. Occasionally, the, occasionally it's the end of the month, and you just got to get that quota taken care of. And most of the time, when things like this were happening to me, I had absurdly long hair, uh, really long hair, dressed almost entirely in black or in black with a tie-dyed Led Zeppelin shirt. Drove a car that was not like top of the line and probably looked as though I would have, oh, I don't know, six or, you know, 8,000 pounds of weed somewhere in the car. And, you know, and it wasn't true, but I, I certainly did. If one was going to profile in some vague kind of way, I certainly did fit that profile. Mm. So maybe that's a thing that they just, uh, that they just used to pull me over, but the guy was like, eh, rapid attainment of speed, that's going to be $180. So I, who knows? Who's to say, Steve? Right. You see, you forgot what you didn't. You failed to say what you're supposed to say in that situation. Officers, there's some way we could work this out. I uh, see. You know, I've always been so afraid to say that for fear that I'm going to get like uh, I'm going to get what's his name. I'm going to get Ethan Hawke from uh, I'm going to get uh, I'm going to get Ethan Hawke from Lord of War, who's the the hard ass cop, the who, who who but who still won't bend the you know he won't bend the law to enforce it. And so I'll, you know, I'll, you know, I'll try to bribe the officer in some weird backhanded way, and I'll get the guy who just takes me in, and then I'm, you know, then I'm facing like 15 years to life or something for attempting to uh, to obstruct justice. I, I live in fear of being that guy, you know, that they make an example of for bribery. Well, yeah, winding up in a jail cell for attempting to bribe a police officer is, is not what you want to do. You don't want to do that. Uh, although, you know, it does indicate that maybe if you go to jail for that, your time might be relatively soft because the guards know that you're willing to buy them. So, Good point. I would say this, that my final thought is I had a friend, uh, Scott, who was this long-haired Wiccan freak, and he would uh, drive through the South occasionally because he was in a band. And so that was a lot of fun because, you know, he looks like... He looks not like Gary Busey, but he looks like that. He looks like Gary Busey's brother, who was in Contact, who was the guy who blew up the space exploration thing. So he's like albino with like long blonde hair, and he was always wearing these big flowy black, black like blouses with like pentagrams and like dragon jewelry, and wear you know with a lot of bumper stickers that said like Earth Mother loves you. And so he's just like this big Wiccan uh, nutcase. But 
he would get pulled over all the time because he just looked like such a filthy hippie. And his his whole thing was that, like, and after this, he modified how he drove after this, but the cop pulled him over, and the cop said, hey, that's going to be 150 bucks, and you'll need to take care of that next Tuesday. And Scott's like, well, can I mail it in? And the cop goes, no, I'm sorry, you can't do it by mail in this state. you got to come to court on Tuesday. Or you could pay that here by the side of the road. And, oh. and Scott was like, well, okay then. And so ever since then, whenever he travels through the South, he does that thing that you've seen in a million movies, where you open his, he opens his wallet, and to get to his driver's license... It is organized in such a way that to get to his driver's license, he has to he has to thumb past like three fifty dollar bills, and he's got to be like, my driver's license is here somewhere. Fifty dollar bill, fifty dollar bill, fifty dollar bill. Oh, here's my license, and which isn't illegal, of course, and isn't offering to bribe the officer, but it is. You know, it, everybody understands what's what's what, what what's being offered right there. So, I'm not I, saying you should do that. Of course, that's wrong. I experienced that in driving in Costa Rica. Where an officer said, officer said something along those lines. Well, I and, figure in Costa Rica it's just understood. Well, I was I read about it in like the travel guide book, yeah. and I was prepared, and I was like, "That's okay, you can give me the ticket," because he was trying to tell me I could pay the ticket there, and it was some uh, exorbitant amount of money for speeding. But I had read in in a travel book that like an actual ticket for speeding in Costa Rica is like five dollars or like ten dollars. Right. I was like, no, you can give me the ticket, and he looked at me like uh, really surprised, and he didn't know what to do. And he went back to his car, and he said, oh, I made a mistake. You weren't going as fast as I thought you were. Your fine is really $10. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, my wife went to Bolivia uh, last year, and as part of uh, – which, which I was kind of jealous of because it's my whole Butch and Sundance uh, fantasy, you know. But she went to uh, Bolivia, and in Bolivia, it's just it's just known. I mean, it's just understood uh, where, where there is – there is almost a menu of bribery there. I mean, there is almost like a price list uh, that you can get of like what it takes to bribe because you got to bribe everybody for everything, you know. And, and it's sort of like when you go to the hotel and you know the guy says, "Ooh, I don't, I don't believe we have a room available, sir." Or when you go to the restaurant and the guy goes, "Oh, the only table available is one by the bathroom," and you say, "Look, is there any way we can handle this?" And you give the guy twenty, and he goes, "I think I can clear something up. Hold on a moment." But it's like that for everything. I mean, it doesn't matter if you get, you know, when you go to the pass office or you go to um, you know you go to because you need to go to a bank and get something taken care of there's an issue with your your traveling papers everything is understood it's like when you go to Russia apparently my wife and I had toyed with the idea you let me know when you got to go by the way because I can just talk forever you know I, I'm clear actually right now that's why I thought we'd just keep going on with non sequiturs I'll uh, <laughs> I'll finish this uh, I'll finish this thought on KCMD Portland and then we'll uh, and then we'll move forward but um because really, when you say non sequiturs, you're in my wheelhouse. Uh, I am non sequitorial in just uh, ev every way. So my wife and I had toyed with the idea of going to Russia this spring, um, just because I don't really like to travel, or I mean, I don't even like to leave to leave the house or, or or Southeast Portland. I mean, I have to, but I don't like to. I my whole life, if I didn't have to travel or go, you know, you know, go anywhere, that'd be fine with me. It just, and I'm not opposed. I, I I'm not down on traveling. People who want to do it, my wife travels all over the world. Uh, she just went to Panama. She's going to be going to. God, she went to Machu Picchu. She she she's going to be going to Spain. So great for her, not for me. I just don't. I just don't feel the urge to do it. That being said, I've always had kind of a low grade fascination with Soviet culture and and Russian culture. And largely, I realize that's based on a certain kind of pop culture familiarity. And I know that that probably has nothing to do with the reality. But even that would be fascinating. I want to see what the actual Russia looks like okay. compared to sort of the Russia of. The Russia of popular culture and my imagination. It's just, and it has this weird sort of beauty meets Orwell kind of a thing, you know, like so much of that, so much of the architecture that you see, is, it seems to have this strange sort of like 
Salvador Dali if he were a government employee sort of a deal going on. Anyway, so we had toyed with going to Russia this spring, and it turns out we're not going to. I think we're actually going to do a trip where we go to the south and then drive through the south, uh, just get a car and drive all the way through the south and end up back uh, in uh, somewhere else. But um, but we found out that when you go to Russia, we were talking to a friend of ours who just went there, and she said that every place you go to, they don't even try to hide it. When you go to any business, they have two prices, two sets of prices listed, prices for people who live in Russia or in Eastern Europe, and then there's a set of prices for Americans. And they're right next to each other. How much is this hamburger? I don't know. Let me see. Uh, for Russians, it's this. For Americans, ooh, it's four times that. And there is a full supplemental price list tacked up everywhere that is just for, like, us. Oh, that's which, outrageous. Which, you know, at least they're, you know, but, but see, that I sort of appreciate. You know? So they're not just... Because they're, they're up front with it. I yeah. would rather pay double uh, if it's just listed than haggle. Uh, to have to pay a third more. You know what well, I mean? You, would, you wouldn't do well traveling uh, with my wife and with me because we go to places like that where, you, where you know, it's a whole other cultural experience when you go shopping. You have to haggle for everything, and it's exhausting. The haggling sucks. Sarah, let me ask you this about haggling. Where do you stand in the big haggling question? I hate it. My See? mom's really good at it, but I... Yeah, I just, and then I always think about it, I'm like, well, could I have gotten it for less? Did right. I not haggle enough? And see, that's the thing. Like, let's say the guy wants... Well, like going on Canal Street in New York, you know, like, in, you know, you see a purse that you want, so like, and it starts at 50 bucks, right. I'll give you 20, and then, you know, it's like, you know, you have to get them down, it's like, how low would you have gone, damn it. Let me ask you this, so let's say the guy wants 50 bucks for the purse. Would you rather, would you rather pay 50 bucks for the purse, or haggle down to 35? I'll, I'll propose 35, and I'll walk away, but ultimately, if I really want it, I will, um... I'll pay 50. See, and I know that that makes me a rube. I mean, I'm fully aware of this. Don't have any illusions. Like, you're a fool. I know I'm a fool. It's just that I, you know what it is? To me, it's like a convenience fee, which I know is the whole point. I mean, that's the numbers game for those guys. Because some people... That's a pretty expensive convenience fee, though. I mean, well, but let's... I I guess, but it's also worth noting that when I was just saying I don't like to travel, I don't really haggle, so I'll just kind of... Unless it's just too much. Like, in my head, in my head, they'll say the price to me. Like, I'll say, how much is this rug? And I say rug because that's the last time I ever was in Mexico, and a guy was like, "I was like, how much for this rug, sir?" And he's all, "Let me, uh, you know, ninety-four dollars or whatever it was." And I said, "Hmm, well, no, thanks." And I just left. And to me, it's like he'll give me the price, and I'll either pay that or I won't. And it, to me, that's all about. And a lot of times, I just won't. Uh, but I, what I'm not going to do is haggle just because it's just not worth, like, the mental irritation and energy it gives me. And so if I don't want to pay what he offers it for me, and plus then there's a perverse desire in ignoring him as he tries to chase after me to, like, haggle. Because the thing is, like, they ex, they expect you to, like, take your, to do your part for the haggling. And so right. I'll ha- how much is the rug? $94. And I was like, no, thank you. And I walk away. And the guy's like, no, 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 but how about we? And I just ignore him, and you know, and it, which is, you know, so that's sort of gratifying in a way. Yeah, well, the, the key is, you know, if you've asked for a price, when, you, when you're shopping in a place like that, that means you are ready to bargain. Totally. You are ready to haggle. Yeah, so you, you can't even ask, like, how much unless you're certain you really want the item. My wife uh, lived in, in Bangkok in Thailand for three months. Uh, she was working there for a little bit. And right. so she took me to the night market in, in Thailand. Anybody who's in Bangkok, anyone who's ever traveled there knows about the night market. It's gigantic. You know, it's like the size of several football fields, and everybody who's Thai goes shopping there. But you also go shopping there if you're a tourist. And same deal. They have the prices that they ask, you know, for the tourists for clothing or whatever. And my wife got got so tired of being, you know, pegged out as being a tourist. Uh, at one point, she just started telling people, "I'm sorry, I live here." 
and then they'd have to change the price on her. That's fantastic. I the and so just to, to wrap it all up, and so I typically I typically don't haggle just because it's just it's just a pain. It just irritates me. And so while it is kind of a hefty convenience fee, it, that's mitigated by two things. I should say so that everybody doesn't think I'm just out there setting fire to my money, basically. A, um, it, a, uh, there's so few things that when a guy's trying to pitch it, you know, pitch something to you and he wants to haggle, but there's so few things I end up wanting to buy anyway. I mean, I buy, I'm not one of those guys that travels, like if I go to another country and I just like, you, I need to buy everything I see. I buy very, very few things if I'm somewhere else. And also... Um, I almost never travel, so it really almost never comes up. I mean, it's it's like it's like asking me like, well, what do you do? You know, how do you behave when you're on the moon? I mean, it, it you know it happens so rarely that it ends up over the course of my life costing me. I would say that my refusal to haggle between now and the time I die will cost me like two hundred bucks total. I mean, that's it because I just don't ever go anywhere. So all right, well then, if you're willing, you know, to, to depart with that two hundred dollars over time, then it's okay. You know, to me, that's it's worth it's worth it just to have the guy leave me alone. So. On that note, my friend, uh, we got to run. Have a, a fantastic day. If you're on tomorrow, we'll talk to you then. Okay, speak to you then. Thank you, Steve. Casting down. All right. Hello, Sarah Dillon. Hello. How are you? Oh, fabulous. You are. Now, you see, you don't see, and see, I know that you, you I, I can tell you got a little bit of a head cold, but you don't mm-hmm. sound as bad as I think you think you do. And in your head, and I don't mean like crazy head, I mean like mm-hmm. in, actually because you've got like, because it affects your ears too. So I think it probably sounds more stuffed up to you than it does out loud. Yeah, my ears have finally popped a little bit. And it's fine. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm just going to keep chugging water. Like, that's making me... I feel like every every bottle of water I drink, it's, like, pushing it more out. They say that thing now... <laughs> that's kind of gross. It's one of those deals where they, they say that all that uh, that stuff about it. You drink eight glasses of water a day. Now there's some school of thought saying that that's, like, not true and whatever. But I... I'm not saying, like... Well, my I, pops is a, is a doctor, and he's always told me, it's just, like, drink water constantly. He's like, just drink as much as you can. Well, that's my thing, is it's like, if you take it as read that every time uh, water leaves your body, however, through sweat or whatever, that it's like impurities are going out. But I figure it's just... I mean, no, it's like showering your insides. Exactly, Sarah. Um, it's, um... Yes, I'm not even going to make the other thing. That's that's funny enough. I'll just leave it at that. Um, you know, so unless you're, like, some intercom winner or something, and you're just going to, like, I'll drink it until I'm dead... Uh, the, the, you know, but I mean, I'm all for hydrating and your body's like 92% water or something mm-hmm. anyway. So it seems like a, uh, it seems like a good idea. Hello, Dave Schmidtke. How are you? Hello, Rick. Hello, Sarah. I'm, Hello. I'm kind of in the same camp as you guys had a massive sneezing attack just before I walked in here today. So yeah, this place is dirty. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I hear you about the, um, dousing the mic with, uh, yeah. Lysol. Oh man. Cause that, you know, I mean, the people who get used to it, take the windscreen off and just spread uh, that. Ah. Uh. And then uh, put it back on. And then it's all squishy. Yeah. Uh, because the and these the Electro Voice RE20 has an internal. And by the way, I'm going to do another little ad hoc. You know who you are. You know who you are. I don't think you work in this. Uh, you work in this building ever. But you know who you are. Quit putting a windscreen on this microphone. I don't mean like my microphone. I mean the Electro Voice RE20, which is uh, I would say it has a built-in windscreen. Right? It's a windscreen. It's internal. It is a it is a windscreen inside. It is one of the, this microphone that I use, the Electro Voice RE20. I, I say that a lot because it's funny, and also because it's one of the most widely used microphones in broadcasting. It is, to my mind, the best microphone on the market. Period. Hands down for day-to-day radio use. Now, the one you're on is a little bit different. You're on a Shure SM7. I was going to say, mine says Kmart on this side. What, what's up? <laughs> that was actually Tim Riley's preference. Tim Riley said, I wouldn't care for the, I don't care for the RA20. I'd prefer the Shure SM7. It has a warmer sound, which it oh. does. Mine's a little more crisp. Um, not as crisp as the RE, uh, the Electro Voice RE71. Uh, wait, I think, wait, is it RE? 
Is it RE70? RE71? That's the one that Rush Limbaugh has, the brighter sound to it. But anyway, it's a very widely used microphone. But you get these guys who will come in with the big... And you know what a windscreen is, everybody? It's like that piece of, like, the foam rubber. It's like a foam rubber condom that you're sticking over your microphone. And it's there, presumably, to keep you from popping your peas like that. But you put it on the, they put it on the outside of this, and the thing is, there's already one of those inside, and so then it, it just ends up making everything sound muffled. So please don't do that. Please, for the love of God. Sincerely, Rick Emerson. <laughs> and everybody, and everybody, and you know, and I'm going to just say this, at Intercom, they would do that. I remember going into that, that studio at Intercom. Where they, and this is not when, uh, and Jeff McGinley wasn't there yet, so I don't know who was doing this. Some jackass uh, decided this is a good idea. I went in there the first day. Can't wait to use my brand new uh, microphone, and there's this huge, thick windscreen over it. Windscreens always gross me out because they seem so absorbent. Because they absorb, like, Ugh, like, like bad breath, breath and body and odor spit and spit and, and smoke. And if you're, and like, if you, and let me just tell you this. And if you're following a smoker, if a smoker does the shift before you, that's why you see jocks carry their own windscreen. Lycus carries his own windscreen everywhere he goes. Um, because the guy before you was like, you know, some classic rock type, and he's been just been exhaling Pall Malls into it all day. You're going, I can't wait to, oh, this smells awful. Uh. So I would walk in there and put this windscreen over the microphone, and I took it off, and I put a note on the microphone that said, contains internal windscreen. Other windscreen is superfluous. Please do not put this back on. Came back in the next day. Windscreen back on with a note. Leave this on. Which I didn't. I took it and I tore it into pieces and threw it away. So if you're wondering what happened to that, I destroyed it. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. But yeah, but guys would take the windscreen off. And that's what Dave was just talking about. They would take off the windscreen and they would empty like half a can of Lysol into it. And then they'd put it back on, which means it then soaks into the microphone. And then if you're the guy following them... It hasn't evaporated by then, so you'd like, and it's, it's an, an inevitability in radio. You work in radio, and like you, you press up against the microphone, and then it's squishy. It's squishy and wet. <laughs> it's it's like, moist. It's like pressing your face against a wet piece of bread. Ooh. It's just a, you know, it's like, uh, it's like pressing your face into wet angel food cake. Because yeah, you have to, with the windscreen too, you have to get really, really close. Yes, you do. Right. Your mouth on, oh. on it. Well, that's why I mean, radio stations and, and to a lesser degree, television stations because they also have to record audio are breeding grounds for for germs. Totally, uh, totally. It's amazing. You get a, a virus go through a, a radio station, and it's almost a slam dunk. Yeah. No, half of the, uh, the office is out right now. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, and especially also, here's another thing, uh, you kids at home. Uh, since we're playing uh, another edition of Inside Radio, this is, uh, and I've learned my experience is that music audiences. Generally speaking, there's exceptions. Music audiences generally don't care about anything that goes on at the radio station. They just want you to get that new. They just want you to get that new. Uh, you know, uh, just get that new. You know, that new whatever song. Get the, get, play that new uh, Slipknot. Like they, you know, they, they don't. The mechanics of what goes on behind the scenes are less interesting. Talk radio audiences, in my experience, typically care a whole lot because they listen to the radio and to the personalities and they hear so much about you know what's going on in the studio and whatever. So they care about this kind of stuff. And that being said, I'll say this and then we'll we'll draw draw the curtain down on it. Um, the other thing about radio stations, and I would imagine TV stations are somewhat the same, radio studios are always breeding grounds for just all kinds of hideousness, like, you know, the Crippen virus and whatever, just because there's a standing order given to the custodial people, the cleaning folks, don't clean this room because there's, you know, not that cleaning people are dumb, but I mean, there's just a billion buttons and switches and knobs in here, and you press the wrong thing, and then suddenly Sarah and I come in and we can't hear ourselves. Mm. You know, the microphones are, you know, or the stations off the air. You leave a mic open, or you turn something down, and it's supposed to play later, and then it's not working. So, cleaning staffs at radio stations typically don't really ever clean the studios because they've been told not to because they don't want something inadvertently damaged or moved or altered or a setting change on on some piece of equipment. 
And so that they're just filled with just dust and evil all the time. So <laughs> evil. here we are. All right, so that's why you're sneezing. It's uh, you're allergic to us, basically. <laughs> well, it's certainly not you guys. Right, I well, love hanging with you. I appreciate that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's uh, let's begin the news hour, shall we? With Dave. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Well, we're going to start a little local uh, locally today. Starting in Bend, Oregon, a sign hanging amid the bottles of vinegar at the Newport Avenue Market gets right to the point. Thanks to the balsamic vinegar thief, this area is now under surveillance. We will get you. Oh, by the way, that last sentence is underlined. For about a year, a thief pinched bottle after bottle of balsamic vinegar. Now, uh, the high-end stuff. This is from this is from a store or a restaurant? It's from a store. Which store is it? The Newport Avenue Market. Okay. In Bend, Oregon. Okay. Uh, you know, the high-end stuff can go for 30 or $40. And I, I just recently attended a dinner party, actually, about three weeks ago. And I knew nothing about balsamic vinegar. I mean, hey, what, you know, I don't know if it would be like $40. That's the, that's the red stuff, right? It's like purple. Yeah, stuff you mix with like oil. With oil for like, like an Italian place. Mm-hmm. It can be clear, some of it, too. Uh, but, you know, it, it's like um, it's like fine wine. It, it, they sell it in, in relationship to how long it's been aged. And you can have 50-year-old balsamic vinegar. Here's a dumb question. What is vinegar made of? Uh, I don't know. Does it come from a vinegar tree? <laughs> I mean, I realize I just don't know. I have no idea. Well, I know we used to make apple cider because we, you know, we had an orchard and squeezed our own cider. And if it sat for too long, it would turn into vinegar. Mm. Or, you know. Yeah, like I think it, yeah, I think it is cider. Yeah. But, I mean, see, but that's not true because then balsamic vinegar isn't made of apples, is it? No, it couldn't be. That's a <laughs> Okay, this is one of, one of those things. Okay, well, somebody will tell us. What is vinegar made of? Go. All right, anyway. <laughs> well, a couple of months ago, workers caught someone who may have been the balsamic bandit. The market didn't press charges, just banned the alleged thief from the store. Now, what anyone would do with all that vinegar, no one is sure. Since then, the thefts have eased off, but they haven't stopped altogether. Uh, shoplifting, of course, is a problem everywhere, but police say they don't get many calls from grocery stores. When they do, it usually involves someone underage trying to buy alcohol. I'm thinking that somebody is uh, either trying to dissolve or preserve a dead body. That's my guess right now. I'm, like, I'm just saying, uh, why else would you be stealing like lots and lots, unless you're running your own restaurant or something out of your out of your attic? I mean, why would you be stealing gallons and gallons of vinegar? I'm thinking there's a body somewhere that needs to be taken care of. You know, here's here's a weird use of balsamic vinegar. Try this next time for dessert, vanilla ice cream. Put balsamic vinegar on it. Oh, I just I don't like vinegar. Instead, how about I never do that? Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound. You like just it. stay home, never leave, and don't put balsamic vinegar on your vanilla. Wait, ice cream. so you don't like balsamic vinegar? Mm-mm. Not even with oil, um, mm. like for bread? A little bit, yeah. I like a little dab of it, like a. Well, like not to, I'm, like, put on salad or something. I can't go with that. Yeah, but. I mean, I like vinaigrettes. Like, I like um, like a good vinaigrette, but... Wait, what's a vinaigrette as opposed to vinegar? Oh, like a vinaigrette, like a like a salad dressing kind of vinaigrette. But I don't know. It uses vinegar, but it has, like, different flavors in it, so it's not just, like, a full vinegar. Dressing. I realize now this is a whole thing I don't know anything about, and I've used or consumed I've that the stuff word my whole life. I've so many times now that it's losing its meaning in my head. <laughs> we should have a drinking game, and every time you hear the word vinegar, you got to slam one. Vinegar. I barely knew her. Uh, but, there's, but there's vinegar, there's vinaigrette, which I guess is maybe vinegar with some sort of, like, a... Some like some sort of an additional seasoning or something to make to make like a dressing. Yeah, make it a little lighter. And then there's like I, I like raspberry vinaigrette. And then there's yeah, then there's cider vinegar, uh, and then there's white vinegar, and then there's balsamic, which is made from some crap 
And then there's a, <laughs> you know, whatever. So it's all very confusing. Hey, did you ever do that thing where you took a hard-boiled egg and you put it in uh, you put it in vinegar? I think it was hard-boiled. It might have actually not even been hard-boiled. It might like have been a pickled egg? It might have been, it might have been a regular, but you leave it in there and it turns all rubbery and it bounces. Wow. I, mean, I, really. had, I had one of those with the Dublin down. They have a big jar of pickled eggs. I could not get that taste out of my mouth no, for it's, like two days. No, well, you don't... And it was a, it was like the bouncy the pickle. big jar well, yeah I can't remember if it's a, it might have been hard boiled I think it's a hard boiled egg I don't think it was raw but you take a hard boiled egg uh, and you leave it in vinegar this is one of those things I said I, I had in my Mr Wizard book as a kid Mr Wizard Supermarket Science and uh, which is a great book and you put the uh, egg in vinegar and you leave it there for like two weeks or something or ten days which is just an like just an eternity when you're a kid where you're waiting for a science experiment mm-hmm. and then don't touch it for a week and you're like come on and uh, it's like when you're waiting for your uh, your sea monkeys to arrive. Yeah, I was just thinking that is so weird. Yeah, yeah. the and little sea monkeys or the or the submarine for six dollars. D- dude, I totally the submarine for six dollars. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, but then you take the egg out and you throw it on the ground. And it bounces right up like it's a, like it's a Super Bowl. It's all very freaky. And then you're thinking to yourself, I shouldn't be eating vinegar if it does that. <laughs> it's like that whole thing of how you like soda. Like you put your you know the thing of like you put it you put like a tooth in a in a, in a can't you know in a glass of soda in a week it's gone or something and you're like why do I drink that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what was my point? Vinegar, vinegar. Blah 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 blah. Oh wait, here we go. Um, well, I'll just take a, a call randomly here. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. What's up? Hey Rick, I can tell you a little bit about vinegar. Please do. Uh, vinegar can be, really be made out of all kinds of stuff. Uh, like balsamic is made out of wine, either red or white, and usually made a Proper balsamic is from Italy. How do they make uh, it out of? So is wine that they just let ferment or something? Uh, they have a. It's, it's called a. It's a. It's a bacteria culture, and they, usually, if you wanted to go buy it, you could go get it at like a brew, uh, a home brew shop or a winemaking shop, and you just ask for a mother culture. Weird. And it's uh, just kind of a. Ba- I'm not. I'm not sure if it's a bunch of different bacteria and yeast, but what it does is it just yeah takes it and turns it into makes it acidic. Fair enough. Okay. Um, but you can also make it out of like you know if you go to a fish and chip place, they've got malt. Vinegar, which right. is made from, like, you know, beer malt. Okay. Uh, you got rice wine. You can make it out of apples. I mean, really, anything that's fermentable, uh, any kind of liquid that can be fermented, you can usually... So what is the definition of vinegar, then? Is vinegar... Well, I'm going to look it up There's right no now. no alcohol in it. I'm just going to look up the word vinegar, though, to see what, see what it means, because... It did, see, now we sound like a stupid, splendid table show on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> You've used it a million times, but do you know the fascinating backstory of vinegar? Uh, well, I should have known, by the way, because it has, you know, the, the, the prefix is V-I-N-E, vine, which is like vino, which is like wine, a sour liquid formed by the fermentation of alcohol used as a condiment or preservative. I had no idea. I should have figured so it out. It vinegar takes the alcohol wine. and turns it into acid. Weird. Acid. Vinegar is made from alcohol. I had no idea. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Okay. You're Appreciate welcome. it. There you go. That's a smart listener there. Seriously, no, they're way smarter than we are. Oh, yeah. And together, like, the listeners as a whole are the smartest person on earth. Oh, yeah. Really? I mean, there's, and I'm not just saying, anybody who's listened to the show, you like know Like, any question true. we've ever asked, like, somebody can answer it. Anything. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, I mean, if you were to take the listeners and, and view them as a person, it's like, they put that Ken Jennings guy to it to shame. They are the smartest person who's ever lived. They'd be like a supercomputer? Really, I mean, but like, but like way smarter than a supercomputer because they have a non-parallel thinking. Uh, they have uh, non-linear processing as well, which is their advantage. Our audience as a whole could totally beat that uh, that deep blue uh, computer that beat Kasparov. So, all right, uh, here's uh, Dave Schmidtke on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Well, in Woodland, Ohio, a dentist had a extra special treatment for his particular female clients. 
The attorney for a Woodland dentist told jurors that his client massaged women's chest as part of their medical treatment. Dude, for their teeth? That's, yeah. That's a Lifetime movie. <gasps> Is it really, or you think it's No, no, it's there's a movie on Lifetime called She Woke Up Pregnant. <laughs> it, she, sorry? It's really called that. It, it, it was called She Woke Up Pregnant. And wow. um, and she, like the, the dentist had totally like, put her under, you know, do some dental work on her. He totally like, molested her and, and, you know, had the sex with her unconscious body so, and then she and then she had found out that her husband was sterile so then he accused uh, her of cheating and it broke up their marriage and then you know it was she woke up strangely satisfied <laughs> uh so i don't understand so he's a dentist yep. but he's fondling their bosoms as he's but the thing is he's claiming it's treatment which means to me they aren't unconscious that's my thing like why would he say it was part of Saying it's part of treatment implies that he was telling them that, and then did it, so they were awake, which is weird. So he's massaging their boobs while they're awake? Yes, uh, you know, medically. This is a news story, here. of course, that we're talking about. Well, Mark Anderson is the name of the uh, of the uh, dentist. He was treating his female clients for TMD. TMJ, probably. Yeah, yeah probably. That's the job where you're, your yeah, jaw clicks. and temporal mandibular, mandibular disorder. disorder. Wow, man. I mean, I'm amazed you didn't know about vinegar, because you do. You're good. You know every every little factor. There. I know. He has, like, these little, like, me. gaps. Well, then what's TMJ? Oh, TMJ is a music service that I think that does the Obama imaging. Um, TMD, yeah. yes, temporal mandibular disorder. And it's you'll know people sometimes when I think you see them kind of going... Like mm. like moving their jaw around, like trying to get into place. It's where your jaw doesn't quite function. It doesn't open and close quite smoothly. There's a little it, you know, little bit of a roughness to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently that's what he was allegedly treating his women for, and um, he faces 19 felony charges for skin to skin contact. Skin to skin. And one misdemeanor for touching a patient's breast over her clothing. Wait. It's still, so is he like, they have to be out because if some like you know dentist is like wait, sneaking let's, let's, his hand into your shirt. Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure how far the the muscles that affect your jaw go down into your torso. Well, My guess is probably not that far south. I have so many things to say about this. One, <laughs> the count of skin to skin contact is interesting because now that I think about it, when you go to the dentist, you have the thingy. Well, but and and think about this, the dentist. And I understand why this is proper, you know, because, you know, the people, you know, worry about, you know, this illness and all kinds of stuff now. Um, I mean, not that there wasn't before, but I mean, it's, you know, there's many, many more like bloodborne pathogens and, and, and so forth. And um, the, your dentist never, ever, ever like n your dentist's uh, like his hand, like his, like you will never have any part of the dentist's body touching your body without latex between it. Oh, I was thinking about I that. I guess I never really thought about that, but it's true. Like, there, there is no skin-to-skin -skin contact at all at the dentist. Like, even when they're, like, holding the outside of your mouth to position that thing inside for the x-ray, she's got gloves on. So there is, so there must actually be a law where there can be no skin-to-skin -skin contact of any kind, mm. just... Not because it's like you're going to catch anything from your dentist touching your elbow with his hand or something, but just... One size fits all. Like one law that makes it that makes it easy. You know, in other words, there's one rule which makes it simple, which is, and that rule is there can be no skin to skin contact. Period. And this that this must be what that is, right? No, I'm thinking so. Uh, but then there's one kind of touching her over the clothing, which means that he must have been touching her under the clothing. Like the rest of it must have been like you'll, as Sarah said, he's not snaking his hand in there, so it must be like you'll need to take off your bra. So my thing is, was he doing this? Was was he was he trying to pitch some sort of like it's an acupressure thing? And I can't thing? believe that 19 women fell for that. Well, like that makes me kind of disappointed in my gender. See, but here's it's been going on for from 2005 to 2007, and and brought complaints from 14. So 14 women did complain. 14 women did complain, but yeah. it happened to 19 of them. I but I mean, how can 14 women complain that he was still doing it? 
Like, did they all complain on the same day? I don't know. It I seems like 14 women years. complaining would take, yeah, but that would take several months for 14. It seems like that, that wouldn't all happen. In, in other words, he's not seeing all those women in one day, one week, no. one month probably. No. How many women have to complain that he's groping your, your bosoms before somebody goes, let's go talk to him about that? Let's talk to him about his life. See, for me, it, it, it happened almost the opposite way. My, my dentist and actually my wife's and my dentist are a friend of ours. And she, uh, I noticed one time I was getting, I don't know, I was cleaning or what was going on, that uh, I was kind of surrounded, surrounded by breasts in, in my head. And I wasn't going to say anything about this, but my wife happened to stop by the office. <laughs> and she walks in and she goes, hey, you must be loving this. You know, our our friend's boobs are all around your head. And I'm like, well, thanks, honey. You have the greatest you. wife ever. You do. She's oh, so cool. Your wife yeah. rules. But I'm sitting there, you know, now blushing and, uh, you know, trying to think, okay, well, <laughs> this is great. I've, something I've been noticing and appreciating, I might add, for years, now I'm very self-conscious about it. I think Don Taylor was noting that, that it's like the dental hygienist always gets, you know, it's like your face always gets right in the shirt somehow, you know? I mean, it's like they're mashing into you just depending on how they're like. The other thing is, how about this? Uh, when you go to, like, get your hair cut sometimes... And it's like, and especially if they're doing that thing of like, okay, I'm gonna have you lay back in the sink, and there's the sink with the, the like the 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 U-shaped cutout for your neck, and they'll lay you back into the sink to wash your hair before they cut it, mm-hmm. and then it's like always some, uh, it's like there's always uh, you know some some woman who has you know. Like, and then it's like the whole awkwardness of like, okay, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, because you don't want to seem like the lecherous customer. Yeah. And so you're doing everything like to not look, not touch, not be touched, because you don't want to seem like, and I'm not. But you don't want even want to inadvertently seem like the weird, creepy customer. Mm. Because was it on this show? I think it was on this show years ago. We had sort of like a you-know-who-you-are bit where people were anonymously complaining about customers. And it was like if you work at a place and you've got creepy customers, here's your chance to anonymously vent about a customer. And a woman, and I think she worked at Bishop's, but a woman called up and she said she had this customer who came in. And he always was like, he, he always requested like, hey, you know, I got product in my hair. Can you give me, you know, can you go, can we go scrub my hair out, you know, wash my hair before you, before you uh, give me the haircut. And, but it, it turned out uh, over the course of several visits from this guy to get his hair cut at Bishop's, um, which, you know, is where I go. I don't have any problem with the, with the business. But it, she said that it took her several times to notice this, but it turned out that he clearly just had some fetish for having his hair washed, you know. Which is, and look, I mean, don't get me wrong, having your hair washed, you get the scalp rub and everything, it's great, fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very enjoyable. This wasn't like he enjoyed getting his hair washed because you get the scalp rub and it's relaxing and your hair, and then you feel good. His whole thing, like, he clearly had an actual, like, sexual fetish for, for like, having his hair shampooed. Like, maybe, maybe he had, like, a special aunt that used to shampoo him a lot when he was <laughs> younger, and this is how he's... That's so creepy. But she said he would, and this, just, and this, and this, this is going to sound even creepier, so brace yourself. So she said she figured out that he would, she, when she was shampooing his hair, that he would, as she put it, just start making all these sex noises. Oh, my God. Wow. And she's like, and she said she finally put it together. So ever since then, I've become so hyper aware of, like, not even trying to look like I'm enjoying it. Like, when, there's, when they're, you know, and they're doing that great thing of, like, they're, you know, like they're massaging your scalp, and you're like, that eh, feels good to be, you're, like, I'm just staring straight ahead. I'm not enjoying this. This is simply a clinical act so I can have my hair cleaned. So you're overcompensating. Totally. Yeah. And so it is with the hygienist and whatever. So, but my final thing about this dentist is, so 14 women, so he must have somehow convinced them that it was like an acupressure thing. I, I, you know, I mean, the that's the only really explanation. Short. I'm not sure. It doesn't really give any kind of actual motive for, and and explains how this could go on for two years. Because I like because I've never like I've never studied or anything, and I I don't know anything about about medicine. But it, but unlike a lot of stuff, which is obviously just uh, just just quackery, 
Like acu acupressure, and therefore I would imagine acupuncture. Like acupressure is a real thing. It seems oh, to yeah. me that's a that's it a works. yeah that's a thing that really exists. Because yeah. everybody's had that deal. I mean, everybody's had that happen to them where you touch some part of your body, like you know your thumb or whatever, and then suddenly your nose itches, and you can do it over and over and over again, and you go. That's weird. Those shouldn't be connected. How odd. Um, Especially that your feet are connected to like everything in your body, which is oh, what do they so call bizarre. that? Yeah, each part of your foot represents like your kidney or your liver, mm. or your heart. I had a woman uh, who did. Is one then will be done. I swear to God, we'll break after this. We'll come yeah, back to phone calls, and we got all kinds of uh, many, many, many paid adver- advertisements to get to from our uh, many satisfied Unless clients. I've had three bottles of water. <laughs> and Sarah can't cut. <laughs> floating eyes are floating over here. I know. <laughs> Here's a final weird thing. I used to knew. Uh, I used to knew. I used to know me one of them girls who did, did that, that there. Did you knew her good? I uh, I knew a girl. Uh, she did the massage therapy. When I'm not, it's not code for anything. She did like like a, like a licensed uh, massage therapist, and you know, and, and really just like uh, the well done massage is one of the best things on earth. That really is. That really is one of the. Uh, that really is one of the great things we realized. Uh, you know, the architect of 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 humanity really knew what he was doing at some points, um, but. She would do the full body massage, and I don't know how everybody here. If you like, you, you get a massage ever? Well, no, because I don't. I get too shy. I don't like people touching me. Really, you don't? Yeah. Have I, you, have I you don't, ever gotten the full? Like, I've only had a massage, massage once, and that was from my wife's cousin because I've known her for years. But you've I, never gotten a professional massage? Um, just just once. She's was, she's. Was but I mean, from somebody person. you didn't know? No. Really? Is it just that you're self conscious about? Yeah. Is your are you self conscious about being to some what to whatever degree undressed, or is that you don't want to be touched by a stranger? The, the the latter. See, and the weird thing is, I mean, well, you may not know this. It's well known that the audience, that we all here, Sarah, myself, actually, Tim Riley as well, uh, that we have a whole thing about touching and hugging. Like, we don't we don't like that. I, 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 Tim and I are way worse about it than Sarah. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't mind it so much, but I do, like, but when people, like, random strangers come up and, like, Mm-hmm. Touch me unless they're like you know a, like a nice listener or something. That's fine. I mean yeah, I, I, yeah we'll make there it. Are limits. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, but yeah, but you know, but there's people who just there's people, and we do make an exception, I think, for you know for listeners in this because listeners are you know family. But but you know how it is. It's like you meet somebody for the fr- and women I think do this a lot. And women from the East Coast, you meet them for the first time and they want to hug you, and it's like I just don't. It makes me cringe even to think it. I don't. I just don't like to be touched a lot. I don't. I'm not. I just don't care to be hugged. I don't care to be touched. I just, a lot, it, like, I'm a big fan of personal space. And mm. inappropriate physical, and when I say inappropriate, I just mean physical contact that's, like, more than you need to do. Like, you don't need to hug a guy after a board meeting. You just don't. <laughs> and But there's people who hug about everything, and it, I just don't care for it. Tim is way worse. Tim is, like, almost phobic about being hugged. Mm. It's like, you hug Tim, and you can just, there's a whole, like, get away from me vibe, which is fine. We're all, we all kind of have that. But um, anyway, that being said, it's weird that that the massage thing doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I am a huge fan of professional massages. Just, uh, and, it, and it is, I mean, and it is a luxury. I mean, it's a little pricey, but that's totally one of the things I will budget for and set aside money for because it's just, it's the best thing ever. But I know a woman who did the full-on, full-body massage. And I don't know how everybody gets their massage done. Some people are like, you know, I just want my, you know, my shoulders, my legs, or whatever. And she, uh, she would do the full-body massage. Some people, though, and she would do the, uh, she would massage like the, uh, the buttock. Area, and she said that uh, she said like she had to prepare herself that like about one out of every five times she would do the uh, uh, massage that whoever it was would just begin like sobbing uncontrollably, <laughs> and she said that's apparently it's like wow. linked to some weird place in your brain, and so she'd be like massage massage. <laughs> My daddy never loved me. Thank God that's where you were going with yeah. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing as good as a butt scratch though. And I'll he's, just leave it at that. He's Dave Schmidtke, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, back after this. Don't go anywhere. The air is big, but the oxygen is thin. My heart is beating like a 
It's time for another ad hoc edition of What is Sarah Dillon Eating Today? Sarah, what are you having for lunch? Oh, I threw away the box. It's a healthy choice, um, like steamed chicken and like noodles thing. Let me ask you this. Do you buy those each day or do you buy like 15 at a time? No, I never. I, I don't grocery shop. I buy whatever I need for the day that day. Good for you. Yeah, I don't. Because if, if I do, if I buy more than what I'm going to eat, I, it just will rot in my refrigerator. Well, but if that. you bought like five or six frozen things, though, at once. Yeah, maybe. I mean, oh, I'm it's, not... it's kind of like my routine, though. Like, I always go and, you know, I either go to Safeway or Fred Meyer in the morning and pick out what I want for the day because my taste changes every day. So, well, what if I'm stuck with something and I just don't want to eat it? And seeing here that little bit, that thing I just said, that was me projecting my own uh, flaws onto you as well because I do exactly the same thing. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you just buy more? I say to myself, but through the mechanism of Sarah Dillon, <laughs> why don't you just eat responsibly and buy in advance, Rick? I mean, Sarah. I mean, Rick. So, yeah, and so forth. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. And by the way, let me just say, here's the doubly, I don't think it's bad, but the thing about it is, you know, Lara works, um, she doesn't work a lot. I mean, she works maybe, she works three, maybe four days a week at most. But the thing is, you know, they're 12-hour shifts. So it's, you know, so she's still working a lot of hours. It's just they're all in these long streaks. So she'll work from like 7 a.m. to 7.30 at night or uh, like this morning. In her schedule this morning was like 5:30 a.m. to like you know to 6 p.m. or something. So, but and then so for and then she'll do overnights and graveyards and swing shift and whatever. So, for a lot of that, I'm just left to my own devices. And the worst thing that she can possibly say to me, I mean, it's great, don't get me wrong, but in terms of just my health and my food consumption, is well, I'm going to be working late or I'm going somewhere. Where you just uh, fend for yourself. And you know, and what that always means is just go buy the worst thing you can possibly find. <laughs> uh, buy something that is just made out of sodium and fat. Uh, you know, like just a big bucket of lard and sugar and just shovel it into your mouth uh, while you're watching Anthony Bourdain eat something sophisticated on television. <laughs> I love travel and sophistication. Give me the more, give me the Captain Crunch. Yeah, with well, a Twinkie with whipped cream on top seriously. of it. Seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's like uh, I think it's always easier to eat healthy when you are doing it with your spouse or totally. like a roommate. Um, and when you're left to your own, you know, devices, you're right. That's when you start going through the pantry and weird stuff, especially back in the day the when there was cannabis-inspired munching, uh, some of the weird combinations. Well, you know, the uh, and, and, and it's like you can see this sort of – here's the thing about it, too, and, I, and Sarah uh, can't really identify with this, I don't think, but uh, but you and I certainly can, Dave, that, that whenever you are left alone by your, by your spouse, and anybody who has, like, a significant other knows this, whenever you're left alone for significant periods of time, and really diet is where you spot it the first, that's when you can start to see, like – how you could start turning back into a pumpkin at midnight. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because you do just drift back into the way you lived before you were with that person. And with me, it was just like, I don't throw anything away. I don't, uh, you know, I don't shave unless I have to. I don't even put on pants some days. I just sit and I eat in a big piles, uh, uh, you know, of Cracker Jacks out of a bag. I go to the store and I'll buy the industrial-sized poppycock, you know, with the, uh, the extra caramel. And I'll just sit on the couch and I'll eat that in my boxer shorts. I mean, and that's... You know, and then, I mean, I don't know, like, I throw things away. I'll take out the trash every three or four weeks. <laughs> I'll do, like, a manic depressive thing where I won't clean the house. Like, if Laura, look, God, she, she went to Panama. Um, Panama and then to, I can't remember, Panama and then Peru uh, and Bolivia in November. Mm-hmm. And so she was gone for almost three weeks. And so, man, it's like, you know what I did? It was the whole manic depressive thing where it's like I didn't clean the house for about, Two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. And then the last two days before she came back, I'm like, I got to clean. And you know, just going through the house and like six hour cleaning jags, trying to get everything back to normal, which I did. 
But, I mean, you do realize, you're like, God, you know, what if she wasn't coming back? Ah, oh, don't even think about it. Because <laughs> then you immediately look back through the time tunnel and you see yourself the way you were at age, like, 20 or something. Yeah. Where you're just living in a hovel. It's like you're living in your own personal Calcutta, you know? So, just no good. All right, here's uh, Dave Schmicky, ladies and gentlemen. Well, in New York City, a uh, dim-witted thief shouted from his apartment window that he knocked off a convenience store, calling cops idiots for grabbing the wrong guy. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Raymond Granby, 37, allegedly yelled, It was me, you idiots. You have the wrong guy. <laughs> you know, now there's the sticker for accuracy. That is wonderful. As police led an innocent man to the deli on Brunswick Avenue where the theft occurred um, it was a couple weeks ago now, I think. But anyway, Gram- Granby had earlier swiped two bottles of old English malt liquor. Mm-hmm. Mm, that explains a few things. And he tried to walk out of the store, but he stopped by the owner. He pulled a knife and fled. Granby was followed by cops all the way to his nearby seventh-floor apartment, but uh, when a different man answered the door, officers, officers accidentally grabbed him instead. And as he was led down the street, Granby opened his window and began his rant. He was arrested and charged with robbery, weapon possession, and menacing. It's no wonder that uh, cops, over the course of their career, just have so little regard for other people and just have such a dim view of humanity. Well, you know, they hang out with some of the, the scourge of humanity. Right. I mean, that's just and, and I don't mean just scourge because they're criminals. They're just dumb. I yeah. mean, just... Imagine, I mean, look, and it really, I mean, it is very difficult to be a cop. And, but part of that, you know, and there's all this thing, putting your life in the line and all that stuff that we all know. But the other stuff you don't think about is just, I think just the accumulated mental toll Mm-hmm. of just, like, you want to make the world a better place, and you want to help humanity, and you want to make society run a little better, and you realize you are just spending your day just shoveling S. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, that S is just the assembled, wretched, stupid refuse of humanity, right? I mean, because if you're a cop, like, 80% of the people you got to go certainly arrest or lock up, mm-hmm. and probably, let's be honest, like, 80% of the people you got to go do anything with are just as dumb as posts, <laughs> totally useless. Yeah. Never going to be useful. It's a guy, you know, it's like being a, it's like being a teacher in some ways. Where like, you know, as a teacher, you must look out of that classroom and you go, well, 20% of this class is going to be reasonably successful at something. They'll keep their heads above water. 3% of this class will have a chance at greatness if they don't overdose on something or go crazy. The rest of these guys are just either middle of the bell curve or flat out useless. And that's it. And there's no changing that. I'm sorry. There's just no fixing it. I mean, there's a, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is not going to come and, like, reach your kid by playing Mozart at them. It's not going to happen. <laughs> if your kid is, like, 12 and a loser, going to stay a loser forever. Don't don't deceive yourself about that. There is no fixing it. Yeah. I mean, and so cops must be. Cops come and there's just some, you know, hey, what happened? Well, it's some idiot meth couple punching each other in the face. Didn't we come here last week? Yes, they were punching each other in the face then. And you just know right then, never going to get any better. Yeah. So I give it up to cops and teachers and anybody who can deal with that sort of just, like, repetitive uh, stress, you know, that stress of just just fighting your way uphill all the time. And guys like this are sort of funny. Mm-hmm. And you you know that even cops laugh about that guy. You got the wrong guy. I did it. And he's drunk, which makes him easier to catch. Oh, and hey, he's in that window right there. But at the same time, it's no wonder the cops just at the end of their careers are just like, F this. Yeah. F this, I'm going to go open a fish and, fish and chip shop uh, somewhere. Well, you know, that's, how I, I, that's when I burned out as being a, news, a television news reporter. And that's back in the day when we would actually do a lot more, spend a lot more time covering, uh, like, court cases and stuff like right. that. And I remember the first one, they went, spent about two days talking about blood splatter evidence. You know, and uh, wow. I was, you know, younger, I was intriguing. But when you get older, it's like, OK, I'm doing a live shot on the, the child molester du jour. 
um, you just start to think pretty soon. <laughs> Who who makes up this this society we live in? Yeah, you know? like why why am I? Yeah, I heard. I remember. Um, this isn't down that same level. And I and sorry, I get a little bit wrong. I'm not complaining about my job at all. This is the, as like I said the other day, it's the greatest job on earth. Uh, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't trade it. But um, but there are moments where you just go like, what like what is what is up with us? Like what are, who who are we as as people and whatever? I've told the story about how years ago in when I lived in Utah, they executed a guy by firing squad. In 1994, right. uh, John Albert Taylor, because Mormons have this whole thing of like, if you shed blood, you must atone with blood, blah, blah, blah. And it was a huge scandal because it seemed and in fact is uh, barbaric and so forth and whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, and the, my, you know, but it was a big deal. It was one of the biggest stories in the last 50 years for that state. And, you know, there were journalists from all over the country. And so uh, there and so we went out to cover it live from this place called Point in the Mountain, which is the prison there that's uh, right at the Provo. And um, so we're at the Point of the Mountain State Prison. And we're there, and it's at, like we get there at like nine o'clock at night, and of course executions are always at twelve oh one. So we got three hours to kill, and it's a creepy vibe, you know. And keep in mind because it was talk radio in 1994, which is very combative and very issue oriented, and very you know very very, you know, is very very just uh, confrontational. That kind of talk radio. That's what you, you know. That's what it did, and, and I just didn't know any better. And so that that was, and plus in Utah there's just no no way to get around it. That's the kind of that's the kind of thing people wanted to talk about in talk radio. So I've done like two weeks of capital punishment, and that's a lot of fun. Two like two weeks of four hours a day arguing about the death penalty in in Salt Lake City, which is not a great way to spend your your days. No. Um, and so it all kind of climaxed with us going out on uh, I guess it was a Friday night. Uh, to the point of the mountain where they're executing John Robert Taylor, and they're like passing us these these updates minute by minute of what. And I guess they have to do this. They, a guy would appear every 15 minutes, and he would hand out to the assembled press, which included us, a minute by minute of what the inmate was doing. And it was like 9:15. John Robert Taylor is, uh, you know, drinking, you know, drinking the milk that came with his last meal of fish sticks and whatever. I've still got all this stuff at home. It's in a box somewhere. It's not like Facebook. Nine twenty-two. Yeah, totally. Exact. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. It was a nothing but Facebook status updates, but for a guy who was about to be shot to death, and and who knew it. And uh, nine twenty-two. John Albert Taylor has finished phone call with mother. Nine thirty. Inmate is st- is staring blankly into space. And several of them said that. Another one was like. That's totally creepy. Yeah, you know, like ten oh five. Inmate is looking blankly at the floor. You know, and then blah 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 blah. blah Twelve fifteen. Inmate pronounced dead. All the way through that. And I remember the weirdest detail of the night as we walked into the prison, into wherever the area of the prison was. And we weren't witnesses or anything. I knew a guy who was a witness. And we weren't witnesses, but we were right right next to the place where they were doing it. And we walk in, and there's, like, press from everywhere, like BBC, and the Japanese media were there, and the Swedish media were there. I mean, it was a big deal that, like, America, the most advanced country in the world, strapping a guy to a chair and shooting him. Um with a wick and with a like and and with and with a cute little white paper heart on his chest too. That's the weird thing. X marks the spot. No, seriously, it's not even an X. It is literally a white paper heart. Wow. There's a guy. How weird is this? There is a guy whose job it is. I don't know if it, like it comes out of a like a uh, like. If, I don't know if they sent you the paper heart like with the guns or something, or if you had to cut it out of paper. But literally, there's a guy whose job it is to pin a white paper heart to your shirt. Uh, after they put you in the chair, and that's a weird job to have. Mm-hmm. What do you do? I uh, I cook the salads. You know, what do you do? I um, I clean the linoleum. What do you do? I tape the paper heart to the chest of the inmate that's going to get shot. 
Um, Utah but, was the last state in the union that did that, and if I understand it correctly, that they'd have a certain number of people with guns. Some of them would have live rounds, some would have blanks. One has a blank, I think. That's oh. how they do it. Or three. No, no, no. Three with a blank. It's like ten guys, and I think seven live rounds and three blanks. Oh. So that they don't know that they were the one who killed them? So nobody knows if they fired. That's you know, weird. nobody knows if they've had the lethal shot, which seems like a little bit of a cop-out to me. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be like, I'll be on a firing squad and shoot a guy, you know what? Man up. Uh, you, just, you don't have a blank. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I might have moral problems. You know what? If you're going to have moral problems, maybe you ought to reconsider whether your state should be shooting people in the heart. Huh? How about that, Chester? So, I mean, look, either, you know, either, either, just my final, my only observation about this, from my only little ranty section here is, Either be okay with capital punishment or, or don't. If you're going to be okay with it, then don't pussy out and be like, oh, but I want a blank because I don't know that I could live with myself. You know what? That's your problem. Uh, so, but but the weirdest thing is we walk in and they're like giving us the updates and all the press. Are and in the middle of the room, huge mound of bear claws. That's the thing I always remember. Guy's like, well, he was the PR guy. He's like, welcome to uh, State of the Mountain Prison. Would you like a bear claw? And at that point, I remember I looked at Todd and it was like, who are we as people? Why are we here to eat bear claws while they're going to shoot a guy next door? It was the weirdest thing. But cops, though, they deal with like all, I mean, cops are really just, uh, you know, they're the they're the first line of defense. They're the ones who are like on the scene. It's like, what's with this guy? Well, he, he put his whole family through a uh, through a pasta slicer. So I I don't blame them any of them for just getting so burned out on the on the gig. It's got to be tough. Well, I know there's some you know there are there have been bad cops obviously in this world, but you know when you do you ever overcompensate? You know when you, like if one pulls you over and you think well I I, I better be nice. I will make up for all the jackasses. Yes. yes, I will be polite and courteous, and that really freaks them out. I will I totally do that because also because I don't want them to pistol whip me. Yeah, that too. Yes, yeah. that's a, that's another thing. Here's Dave Schmidtke on KCMD Portland. I, I think you know if you're a little squeamish, this next one could be a little tough. Uh, what is this? It's what time this? for. Penis watch. Here's Take your penis watch. Penis. And my troubles start a melting away. Well, I appreciate that. You know, you're looking out for me. Here's Dave Schmidtke with your penis watch for Wednesday. Yeah, Monroe Correctional Complex prisoner with a history of mental illness was rushed to the hospital Thursday after his second attempt to cut off his penis. The prisoner, 49, already had amputated much of his genitals several years ago. <laughs> oh. Where, where is, where is this? This is in uh, Monroe, Snohomish County. So that's right here. That's Washington State. Well done, Washington State. Way to finally put yourself on the penis map. Yeah, boy, you did it. Tired really. of it all being from Austria. Big, big time on the map with us. On so first, this is his second attempt. Yeah, and apparently he used a razor blade to cut off what remained. What remained? Mm. Oh, this this reminds me of Hedgewick, Hedwig? Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes. So That's there was a, so he got rid of the angry uh, the other angry like yeah. four or five inches earlier. No yeah. inch at all. Oh, yeah. He was rushed to Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett with serious cuts to the groin, spokesperson said. Uh, oh, boy. The man was convicted in 1977 for aggravated first-degree murder. He's serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole in a special offenders unit. Did he explain why uh, why the cutting before? Was, was it giving him some trouble? Well, you know... Um, was, he, was he like a, a raping guy or something, or one of those who was a sex offender? And he's, you know, well, this is what's causing all the trouble. I'll just get rid of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they say that besides other psychiatric problems, including personality disorders, 
Um, and people who do this kind of thing often can be associated with gender identity issues. You think? Yeah. 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 I'll make that thing go away. No, I don't know. This is this is what really I can see. This is where all my troubles began. Is this thing right here? I'll, uh, I know how to take care of this. Yeah, the, I would think that they would not. Well, maybe he smuggled the razor in. I was going to say I don't think those guys have razors, but it, you know, maybe they. Uh, you know, maybe he uh, maybe he stashed it somewhere, like uh, when he was working in the kitchen or something. It says here, you know, prisoners are permitted basic necessities, including razors, under state law. Uh, prison officials did not consider the man a risk to harm himself. Even though he'd already tried to cut off all of his genitals. Yeah, once before. Hey, by the way, uh, I don't have this here. I think it's in my office. But uh, somebody was kind enough to have sent this a while back. And the company is called Bob Barker, but it can't possibly be the same Bob Barker. Yes, you need to bring that down. It is a, and it seems like a thing that is a, uh, that's a, a gag or a goof, and it's really not. Um, somebody sent me, it is the Bob Barker company. And I guess it could be the same Bob Barker, but it strikes me as unlikely. But it's a company, this is not a joke, it's a company that supplies, uh, it's a catalog, and it does a catalog for, um, a goods catalog for prisons. Because, you, you know, you realize, I guess, you know, like every industry has their own sort of, uh, you know, uh, their own sort of catalogs, their own sort of, they, their own supplies and goods, and, mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's just everything you need to outfit a prison. It's like everything, everything from, uh, like, uh, jumpsuits and uniforms to utensils that can't be made into stabby things, to bed sheets that can't be set on fire, to uh, like books and uh, board games. But it's weird because you read the description and they're all like, there's this one thing they sell. It's like it's a it's a it's a fork or something that, that, that for the dining room, and I believe it's called the anti shank fork. <laughs> Or like the shankless spoon or something, but the whole the whole selling point is it's a fork that you can't make into a shiv, you know, to take care of a guy. And it's, I'll bring it in so we get the, the descriptions are hilarious. Uh, and, the, and they have this other thing about razors, and it's like the whole point is like a, it's like an anti-suicide razor. So like if you try to get the razor blade out, the whole thing just crumbles into pieces. There's also another thing. It's like a coat hook for you to hang like your uh, your your clothes on. But I forget exactly how they say it. Anti-hanging. Yeah, but it's basically so you can hang your clothes, but not yourself. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's like it bends if you put more than like a pound of pressure or something on it. So it's the and you never really thought that. I guess I never considered that industry would exist where you got to outfit prisons with like bed sheets you can't you can't set ablaze. Well, and can you imagine the uh, the the technical writer writing those descriptions? I mean, no. there's somebody who almost has to have a little bit of a sense of humor. No, I cannot. We should take a break here. We'll come back after this. Uh, later on, we have a CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will be joining us. And you hear this? I have good news for you today, friends. We'll get that when we come back. More with Dave Schmicky as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show on AM 970. Don't go anywhere. Best show ever. Best show ever. Love the program. I miss it to this day. It's 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. I'm going to say this about that. We'll talk to uh, Jim Roop in a moment. Dave Schmidtke here with us uh, later on. Mr. Skin as well as Kelly Clark from Willamette Week. Is it Clark with an E? Is there an yeah. E on the end of that? Mm -hmm. I can never remember. Um, and so forth. Uh, and then... Um, Something else, blah 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 blah. blah. Oh, but is, is, so Arrested Development for one second. So, um, so I was actually talking to um, I was talking to uh, our good friend uh, Cheryl uh, the Hawaiian, late here of CBS, who now um, helps me out with uh, 
She is my Peggy on Outlook Portland. But uh, I was out taping the show yesterday, and she was there, and we were talking about something or other. And she's working her way through the wire, and she just finished season four. And she's about to embark on season five, and I said, okay, that's the final season, and it's all about the media, so it's extra great and depressing. And it's from where I got the, you know, we're doing less, we're doing more with less phrase. But we were talking about how when you watch The Wire, and I'm just speaking for my, myself, although, you know, I know a lot of other people who've said this, but just speaking for myself, when you watch The Wire, the problem is that it, it certainly ruins any other cop show you would ever see for the rest of your life. Like, you can just, you, you know, there's no point. I mean, any any police or detective drama you will ever again try to watch is just going to pale, and and really most of the dramatic programs you would watch, period, would pale just because The Wire is, in my assessment, just so so far and ahead. Uh, it's just the best thing that's ever existed in the hour-long dramatic format. It's the gold standard. But Arrested Development has done the same thing for sitcoms, because after Arrested Development, I mean, what could you possibly watch in terms of a sitcom at this point that isn't a huge letdown after Arrested Development? You know what I mean? It's a, it's a crazy sitcom about a kooky family. And then you watch it, and in the back of your head, you just think, ah, Arrested Development was so great. Why don't they bring that back instead? So if you're wondering that question, if you're saying to yourself, ah, this is crap, why don't they just bring back Arrested Development? I have good news for you, friends. Michael Sarah, the final piece of the Arrested Development movie puzzle, has agreed to star in the film E! Online reported yesterday. Other Arrested Development stars Jason Bateman, Portia Rossi, Will Arnett, Tony Hale, Jessica Walter, Jeffrey Tambor, and David Cross had all agreed to the film, even though contracts have not been finalized and they haven't seen the script. Sarah has told M- uh, Michael Sarah has told MTV News he was not willing to sign on to the film until he saw the script and emphasized the movie was hypothetical. Inside sources confirmed yesterday the E Online that Sarah has agreed to participate in the film. Ron Howard told Ryan Seacrest he's no longer allowed to disclose tidbits about the movie since it looks like, again, it is definitely happening. Yes! Insiders told him the movie could happen as early as the end of this year. Mitchell Hurwitz is said to be writing and directing the film. And Fox Searchlight is the studio for Arrested Development, the movie. Yay! Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio Correspondent James Roop. Hello and howdy, sir. Good afternoon to you, sir. Everything is fine here. Is everything is everything fine and mellow with a slight case of the munchies? <laughs> no, no munchies. All right. Uh, it, it's funny. I was I was moments ago I was talking about how I, I do this I do this TV show here uh, on the weekends. This show called Outlook Portland. And by total coincidence, yesterday uh, it's not going to air until Sunday morning. But yesterday the show I taped had as its guest this guy Russ Belleville, who, who is the he is the director of, I'm screwing up his title probably, he's the director of the Oregon chapter of Normal, which is the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And, um, and, just, and, and this goes without saying, but just an unbelievably, like, sharp, with it, incredible, I mean, you think I can use a vocabulary? Man, that was a guy who was just throwing out $12 words, like they were going out of style. And I was talking to him afterward, and it didn't really surprise me, I guess, in retrospect, because you got to figure, if you're the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, like if your whole thing is about legalizing weed, you, it goes without saying that the guy who's going to be doing your public speaking, the guy who is the public face, has got to be like, by a factor of 10, better than most public faces for an organization typically are. You know what I mean? Because you can't get like one of the fabulous furry freak brothers out there who's, so my guest is uh, so-and-so from the National Organization for Marijuana Laws. Tell me about that. I don't know, man. 
Where are those bagels? You know, you can't get that guy. So he was just... Can't have Jeff Spicoli, no. No, no. So this guy was just, and I don't mean for it to sound condescending, but just unbelievably sharp, bright, funny. I mean, just just a machine. He was he was really quite something. So that show will be on Sunday morning. And just, I'm going to give a little a little heads up. Because just as with the gay marriage issue, we couldn't find anybody to come on and take the opposing side. There was nobody who wanted to come on camera in this economy and talk about uh, talk about keeping, you know, uh, pot illegal and especially with medical you know, marijuana being so popular in this state. Nobody wanted to come on. So we did that thing that we've done once before where we had myself, we had the guest who was talking about legalizing or decriminalizing marijuana. And then we had for the opposing uh, side, we had a uh, an actual sock puppet. So you'll get to see Russ Belleville debating uh, Sacco the Prohibition Puppet uh, this Sunday on the CW Kids. So uh, you watch that. Let's see. Uh, so but it's quite coincidental. I didn't even know this was the case. So there's, there's this guy in California who, and he's kind of pitching it as a recession solver. Uh, he's talking about legalizing marijuana. And he's, like, he's an assemblyman or a city councilman or something or other. Yeah, state assemblyman. Now, this is not the first time they've tried to mount a legalized marijuana law here, or, or mount a, 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 a make marijuana legal. I mean, it happened in the 70s. They, there was a bill drafted in 2004 that was never introduced because the author of the bill probably wouldn't get any support. Well, you know, this time with the economy and the state closing a $41 billion budget deficit with spending cuts and taxes and borrowing, this guy is saying, look, we can make a billion dollars a year if you tax marijuana. Right. I mean, it's a $14 billion a year business anyway. You tax it, and, you know, you regulate it like alcohol. What's the big deal? I mean, you It's are... been proven that it's not a gateway drug like people thought it was. You know, so what it sells a few extra, you know, brownies at the grocery store. That also helps the economy. I was just going to say, I mean, it really, it is a win, 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 win situation, it seems to me. And, I mean, you know, and people, you know, can have uh, legal, uh, or not legal, but the moral or ethical thoughts. But, you know what, then it is your choice. Uh, it is your choice not to consume it. It's your choice not to buy it, just like it is with cigarettes or booze or Playboy magazine or whatever. Strictly from a dollars and cents point of view. It seems that there is, I mean, in leaving aside the scientific angle and the issue of civil rights, just in, in terms of the economy, it seems like it is just a matter. In fact, it's funny, I was talking to Lisa about this a few months ago, and I think I told Lisa Desjardins when everything was starting to go into the toilet for this this country. I think I said it's just a matter of time till you get a place like Michigan. You get a place like Oregon, California, where the unemployment is higher than the national average, where the uh, the revenue crisis is more severe than the national average, where one of these states looks around, sees people unemployed, red ink everywhere, no solution in sight, stimulus or not, and says, okay, drastic times call for drastic measures. Here's what we're going to do, and we'll let the government uh, we'll let the government try to tell us we can't have revenue. Uh, and it seems like that's this is a symptom of that same kind of thinking. Yeah, but I, I don't even think it's uh, I don't even think it's a stretch. I, I don't think it's uh, it, it's a uh, you know finally something like this is, has to happen. I, I don't know that it's I mean it's it's marijuana, man. It's not heroin. Sure. You know, it's sure. it's uh, it's ridiculous that we have the law that we have anyway. It, the problem too is though is that it's federally against the law to grow marijuana. So even if we were to enact a law in this state that legalizes marijuana and is controlled like alcohol, people only. 21 and over can can purchase it. Still, the feds are going to arrest anybody who has it or anybody who grows it. So it's just, you know, until the federal government, until uh, the administration, the new Barack Obama administration takes a look at 
the drug laws and maybe relaxes a little bit on some of them, it's still not going to work even if they can pass a law in this state. Well, you know, I was talking to the uh, the guy yesterday from Normal, and I said that it's so confusing to me, too, because, you know, in Oregon we have uh, we have medicinal marijuana, which is I think we were the first state to do it, and along with assisted suicide maybe, I think we were the first state on that, too. We might not have been first. We were one of the very first states, though, to, to, to pass assisted suicide laws and, and, and uh, uh, medicinal marijuana laws. And I said, so what is the deal? I said, can a doctor... Uh, you know, prescribe it or whatever. And he said, well, you know, in Oregon, a doctor can't prescribe because it's not recognized by the government as a medicine. A doctor can recommend and then, uh, you know, and then and then a patient can, you know, possess. And I said, well, you know, do patients have to worry about being arrested? And he said, in reality, probably not. In theory, sure, because as you said, you know, it's like the, you know, the federal government bats last and they could always come kick a door down. I, I do think this, this is, and tell me what you think about this. My read on it is, that it is still federally illegal, and certainly during the last administration, and frankly during the Clinton administration, because Clinton locked up more pot smokers than like the three presidents before him combined. Um, the, during the Bush administration, though, I mean, if you were, you know, the, the state was going to try to do this, I think Bush and his administration probably would have had no problem at all sending in federal agents to stop it, to arrest, to seize, to whatever. It is just my gut sense in terms of PR and popularity and, and public support and in trying to get some momentum here in these first you know few months of the presidency that if a state just said, look, this is the deal. Here's the scientific evidence. Here's the harm it doesn't cause. Here's the upside that it can create for the economy, for all of these things. In other words, here's all the reasons to do it. We don't think there are any logical arguments against it. We're going to start it, and it's up to you if you want to like take us to task for it. Uh, but, but, but it's on. Like we're we're going to we're going to begin. I don't know that Barack Obama. I don't know that this administration would feel like burning the political capital that they would have to burn to come in and crack down on that real hard. Well, I don't know. The the, the Obama administration has said it is not interested in legalizing marijuana. By the same token, in this state, a doctor can prescribe. Uh, medicinal marijuana. The problem has been is the feds have come in and raided and shut down all these medicinal marijuana dispensaries. I mean, it's it's crazy that he, it's it's legal in the state. A doctor can prescribe it. You have a prescription, you go in and get it. I mean, you obviously if you you I mean you could be you know as thin as a doorpost, and they still would say, well, I don't know that you really need this or not. It's just it's ridiculous. And I just I wonder if I wonder if that if push really did come to shove, where one of the states of California said, "Look, this is the deal. We're just going to roll forward with it because we need the money, and it's not harming anybody, and everybody can get bent." And they did it, and the DEA said, "Well, okay, well the law is the law. We have to go in and you know we have to go in and kick down doors and arrest people and whatever." You do wonder if if there would be some sort of at least a temporary suspension of that, some sort of an executive order. Because they know that what we don't need right now is for is, is is for that to become a big political fight because everybody's going to end up losing. I almost I almost wonder if it would be worth the roll of the dice to see if the Obama administration would back up that DEA action or if they would just suspend it pending a, a final decision on it. Well, I think Barney Frank just introduced a bill sort of similar to this one on the federal level in Congress. Um, that was just that's going to be introduced on Friday here. At least that's what Tom uh, Amiano, who is the assemblyman who's introducing this bill, said to me yesterday. So if I mean it'd be a real stretch, and it would be no problem, I think, in this state, in this day and age, to go ahead and pass this law. 
but I don't think the DEA or the or the Obama administration would put a moratorium on raids because then that would sort of that would diminish the authority of the DEA. I think it would still happen, and the state wouldn't make any money at all, in spite of the fact that it's legal. Jesus, it just you know, it, it you really nailed it, Irv, when you said it. It just it, it seems like such a complicated issue until you realize it's not a complicated issue at all. It's an easy solution that just seems complicated. Uh, complicated. It is an easy solution that is complicated to implement. Uh, there needs to be more. There needs to be more education. And unbelievably, there's been enough education on marijuana that people, I think, really know that it's no harmful than alcohol. Right. Probably less harmful than alcohol. Uh, but by the same token, there's the stigma attached to it. And until we get everybody over the age of 60 out of, uh, uh, you know, out of any position of authority. You're never going to pass it. Seriously, I said one time, sort of, uh, you know, obviously my sort of uh, trademark black humor, but I was saying, you know, the, the, what, what really is going to speed this along is if everybody in Congress just has a big wave of cancer go through their family. You know what I mean? Because it's like you need, they need, that's, I think, what they need to just have it brought home personally. The idea that even if you don't think that it ought to be used recreationally, even if people don't think it ought to be available to be used recreationally, the idea that at least we can't all get together on the medical aspect of it is just ludicrous. I mean, you know, leave aside everything. Leave aside some guy just wants to get high, you know, after, after, after a day's work. The, the, the notion that somehow there's still people opposed to using it uh, medically is just, I mean, it's really kind of offensive to me in the deepest sense. You know what I mean? And you, you were just nailing it. I mean, you just you know, see some guy, you know, who weighs 40 pounds because he's got cancer and can't eat. The idea that the government's like, well, we're not going to give you the thing that'll work. You just, uh, you know, play, play through the pain, friend. It just, it just offends me. It just, it's just the, the most... It's inhumane, man. Yeah, it is. It, and it's, it's, it, it is uh, immoral in the truest sense of the word. So, all right. See, once again, you and I, we've arrived at the truth, and we have solved the world's problems in theory. You know, Light up. What's that? Light up. I was... <laughs> exactly. Light up. And that, uh, you know, and right now, you and I, it's like when they run a computer simulation to see exactly how something's going to work. Like, they go, I don't know, how's this Mars lander going to be able to navigate the rocky terrain and the different atmospheric pressures as it gets down to the ground? I don't know. Let's run a simulation. And then you do it, and they go, that's going to work. Okay, let's do that. You and I, Jim, we are, uh, we are that simulator, and we have now arrived at the solution because it's what we do, sir. Well, there you are. All right, my friend. Enjoy the rest of the day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Jim Roop, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I love Jim Roop, because he doesn't, he doesn't parse, he doesn't obfuscate, he just says, light up. There you go. That's it. All right. It's 503 Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. How can I help Hello. you? Hey, guys, it's uh, Brentley from the Listener Rodeo. Hello, sir, what's up? Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, uh, this subject just kind of hit close to home. I have a friend of mine that's a legal grower for medical reasons, and uh, he actually got raided by the DA once. And they ended up actually having to give it back to him because he was well within his legal range. See, but it's all but it's all really weird though because it's still federally illegal. That's the strange thing about it. Like, and the federal government is the, you know, it's like the thing. Like federal law supersedes state law, which is so weird. That's why nobody can figure out. That's why I kept like asking the normal guy. I'm like, but just tell me, like, what is the actual law? Because there seems to be so many laws in conflict. No, federal law supersedes state law. Oh, that's okay. why that's why Alabama couldn't keep, uh, you know, like kicking black kids out of classrooms because ah. because, you know, the, because the government said, look, uh, you rednecks, uh, I don't care what your law is. The federal law is integration. Get to it. OK, that makes kind of yeah. that makes some sense. But also to, to add, you know, how many people would actually start probably smoking if it became legal? So many people have the taboo idea of it because it's so 
because it's illegal and you possibly could get arrested and go to jail. But if it became legal, I, I think so many more people would start actually using it. Well, I, I, I don't think so. I'll tell you this, and this is... Uh... Boy, it's like speaking in 1994 talk radio. It's like, uh, which I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm just saying there was a, there was a time when talk radio was just. I told the story the other day about bef before, at least in the widespread sense, before Tom Likas, nobody really knew that talk radio could be about pop culture or music or movies, and it was all just like nuclear power, yes or no. Our phone lines are open, and it was all just like really combative, divisive stuff. So this is like, uh, this is like slipping into an old gear that I haven't uh, ridden in for a while, but. The thing about uh, about drug legalization, people say this, you know, that, uh, well, you know, the thing is, if you legalize it, then everybody's going to be smoking crack all day. I don't, I can't speak for you uh, or for anybody else in this room. I don't know anybody who wants to be doing drugs that isn't just going and doing them. I mean, like, if you're sitting around all day going, I really want to be doing cocaine. You know what? You're going to get in the car and you're going to go find some cocaine. I don't know anybody that wants drugs right now that doesn't go get them. That's true. I mean, I mean you know. to an extent, I'm sure it is, yeah. I mean, especially something like weed, where it's like, if you really want to be doing it, like, A, everybody you know probably has some that they can give you. And also, you know, it's one of the, I'm, I'm not saying you should break the law and whatever, but I'm saying, like, we all know that, like, it's, it's not like you're going to, uh, you know, it's not like that's job one for the cops or anything to go bust pot smokers. You know, it shouldn't be. So I don't know anybody that would get high after the laws change that isn't getting high, like, right now. So I just, I don't buy it, yeah. And, you know, actually, I do have one more point to make on the, uh, our particular state in hand. I've actually personally been caught with it in my possession, and they literally, all they did was take it away. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's which, it, it, my way. I think cops realize, and I can't speak for for cops or all cops, but I do think to a large degree, look, I mean, we were just saying the other day, or the other day, we were saying last hour, uh, that, uh, you know, the cops have a difficult job. They're out there, like, you know, with all kinds of real crime and serious, like, uh, you know, uh, serious problems to handle and all kinds of violent offenses and all kinds of whatnot. I mean, cops are able to prioritize. They're, they're nobody's fool. They know what's important and what's not. And cops know what's a real problem on the street and what isn't. And a cop knows where his resources are best spent. And he knows that's not locking up some guy because he's got a joint, uh, you know, like in his back pocket or something. It's just not. So, all right. Thank you, sir. I don't know. Hey, I just don't get it because now there's now they have Oxycontin, which basically is legal heroin. And so they're giving, like, cancer patients legal heroin now, too. So it's like, that's, I don't know. I don't get it. That's, thank you. That's actually a good point because they always say that Oxycontin basically is, well, here's a, here's a, here's something if you talk about legal heroin. We don't give patients heroin, uh, but we give patients morphine, and heroin and morphine are effectively the same thing. When you inject heroin, you know what it becomes in your bloodstream? Morphine. So heroin and morphine are essentially, for all intents and purposes, they are the same thing. So it's weird that we will actually give patients heroin, but not marijuana. That's an well, odd thing. But think about it. That's why I think that the feds will never go are, are going to legalize it, because of the people who stand to make money. Right. Oxy is out there because there Happens are big it. drug companies that make money off of it. There's no income structure with marijuana at this point in time. Well, because you can't own something that's money. naturally occurring. Right. Well, yeah. and also, you know, the folks who make money selling alcohol and cigarettes are not in the loop, so they're going to obviously fight it. You know, now, if they were in the loop to be able to distribute it and make a profit doing it, it would be legalized tomorrow. The only thing, I mean, because you can't, you know, because you can patent Oxycontin or something, or, or, or Viagra, or uh, Prozac, because it's a it's a it's a proprietary combination of artificial chemicals, or chemicals rather that you put together artificially. You know, it's where you made something that didn't exist before naturally. You know, weed or whatever. You know, it's like you can't, uh, you know, you can't patent that because it just grows. It just grows by itself. What you could do though. And I'm only half kidding about this. If companies, you always hear that you say, well, there's no profit motive. The companies that make money on drug, uh, drugs that they have invented couldn't make any money on weed. But what you can do, 
is you could take marijuana and companies could create some alternate version. This is retarded, but I mean, you could say like mentholated marijuana, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Me, you know, like marijuana, like a marijuana, like what are those things they have now? What is that chewing tobacco they sell now where it's like you can just chew it up and swallow it? Oh, the news? But it's like the stuff that, like, like you have to spit, like it dissolves in your mouth. It's like the guy said it was like, um, he said it was like, um, he said it was like a, t- like a tobacco mint. It was like a tobacco altoid or wow. something. And then at the end, it was just gone. It just dissolved. So you could do that with weed because then that's your company's own creation. Da da da, profit. You change the delivery system. That's what I'm talking Specialized about. Specialized brownies, whatever, however you want to do it. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we'll take a break here. We'll get caught up. Still to come, Mr. Skin, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week, uh, and more with Dave Schmidtke. We'll also uh, endeavor to give away a pair of Watchmen passes. We'll do another installment of Golden Age Comic Trivia coming up before the top of the hour. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. the Rick Emerson radio program. This is still my favorite current bumper, by the way. Mm-hmm. Of the bumpers rotating through. You say that every time. And it's just that. Just listen to that. Just doesn't get any better than that. It's not just, uh, you know, because otherwise, otherwise you can be one of those shows where you just get like a Crystal Method uh, CD and then it's just uh, on repeat in the background. <laughs> Laura Ingram. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's 503-733, if only it were possible to listen to her at this point and determine whether she's doing that. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Well, but very quickly, actually, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do here. We're going to do uh, uh, in just a moment. In fact, I'll give the call to action right now. Uh, so, uh, we have one call on hold of us, something else, but we've cleared out the other line. So, Richie, I'm going to give the call to action out of the, uh, Watchman passes. We're going to take caller number five right now. It's going to be another installment of, uh, trivia from the golden age of comics. We're going to try to give you a shot at Watchman passes for the special screening coming up Monday. This is, uh, not the people's screening. This is the special screening, uh, for which there are not going to be any extra tickets. So, we'll take caller five right now at 503 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 970. And uh, if you are able to correctly answer this question from the Golden Age of Comics, you win yourself a pair of passes to the Watchmen special screening. It's all very exciting. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that. Uh, then we'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Then more news with Dave Schmidtke. Kelly Clark will be here and uh, so forth. So welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Engineering maestro, Matt Green. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. How are you, my friend? Hello. Is this actually working? It is. It is. And I can hear you. Okay, cool. So you, it's a good day, then. You In like nine different ways. First of all, of the five microphones in the studio, there was one of them that was just inexplicably missing uh, for for like a week and a half. <laughs> and um, anyway, long story short, uh, it was gone because of some other merriment that had happened uh, elsewhere in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came in, the microphone was just gone, and I asked Matt the other day, I said, hey, uh, do we ever find microphone number three because it's still gone? And Matt said, oh, I thought it was back. And I said, oh, I thought you had it. And it was a, a miscommunication. And... Um, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm sure it's hidden somewhere clever. And it was cleverly hidden. It was in a drawer, which is really like, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a page out of the Oak Island money pit right there. So anyway. Wait, it was in a drawer? It was hidden in a drawer. 
So the the, uh, the folks who originally played the prank decided, okay, uh, I got a little bit miffed about that, frankly, and uh, so they brought them all back, and they noticed that there was one extra which came out of this studio. So well, what do we do with the extra one that we were having such a great laugh over? But and they came so into, they just put it in a drawer. Think of, hmm. But yeah, they came into our really studio and we weren't in here and took one I, of our no, microphones? No, I did that. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Matt as, originally... As a preemptive strike to keep uh, one of our sister stations on the air. Ah. It's a long story. And twisted. Way and, twisted. In any event, so the microphone is back. Fun story. <laughs> Fantastic. If you're not mad, I suppose. Uh... So the microphone is back, and then you have brought with us not one, not two, but three pair. It's actually four. Four pair of guest headphones. And your Almond Roca, too. I love it. Now I can hear from both ears now. Dave Dave has a new pair on right now. Oh, man, you guys sound so much better. Because it was last Wednesday, was it not, when we discovered that there were no additional headphones? Because Dave kept like, I can't hear anything. And and you you were so polite about it, you didn't even tell us. He did like a whole two segments. Not being able to hear anything. And then finally he goes, ah, look, I can't really hear you. And we realized they were all, like, broken all to hell. So we have four, uh, let's see, where are Let me look at these. Let me book a, look at the They're all box. basically the same. These are the uh, lower-end Sonys. But they, 7502. You know, for $50, you can't beat these things. They sound great. I plugged oh, them do. into my laptop earlier, and they're just fantastic. It's mm-hmm. basically just one series down from what I wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these, well, You should do an A-B comparison right now. You should open that package up and try, try this. Uh, why don't you open it? I don't want to okay. be like a guy slovenly tearing the box open. But now these, I think these are, would be the Richie Memorial One Ear. You should destroy those. You should burn just, those somewhere. We just round. Here's the thing: these? because if you leave them here, then it, okay, what's going to happen? Use somebody inevitably will plug them in and then go. They're How not come working. working. Well, you know, <laughs> I, CBS. I was messing with them. And I'm thinking, why does this one side not work? And I actually looked at them, and yeah. someone has physically cord cut hacked right off the yeah, cord that gone. goes into it. And <laughs> it's like, gee, I can fiddle with this uh, this adapter as much as I want to. It ain't going to work. Well, God knows you don't want the weight of that extra cabling to get in your way while oh, you're on the radio no. doing dangerous things. Could like you messing the news. up. All right, so I'm going to do a... Uh, this will be gripping for the folks at home, by the way. I'm going to do a... Uh, <laughs> this is good radio here. I'm going to do a comparison of two sets of headphones, because that's the... Uh, that's the... Uh, all right, there you go. Well, it's, that's like, what it's like a new car, you know. There's nothing like that new car feel. Well, and just think, you simulated the economy by, economy by buying these, too. Well True. done, sir. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and then, then all the time, now is it the deal CBS Engineering at work for you. When you buy stuff uh, from Broadcast <laughs> Supply, is it they send you Almond Roca? Is they that their always, trademark? Yes, they always send Almond Roca. Almond Roca? Really? Mm-hmm. Sarah, do you want the Almond Roca? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you like that stuff. But, was I, there any questions? I thought I would offer it to you first, because <laughs> otherwise I was just going to... Oh, we could split it. No, 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 you can have it. It's bad. I shouldn't have it. Um, it's disgusting. All right. I can never get with Almond Roca myself. I can't, stand I just can't deal with it. No. All right. I'm putting on the guest headphones that were just purchased, and hey, those aren't bad at all. Yeah, they're they're, mm-hmm. they're very That's clear. Fancy pants. Those are really good. <laughs> they're fancy pants. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Cool. All right. Fancy pants. So there you go. Engineering here at First Avenue lives to serve. Thank you, sir. And I really do mean Thank that. you, I'm Matt. Give you the packaging and the headphones. There you go. All right. Uh, now you guys are going to want to find a special place to hide these. Yeah, I was going to say, Sarah and I will have to figure out where those go. Oh, or I don't know, like behind a locked door that might belong to me. <laughs> yes, where where only so, one person has the key. Yeah, I uh, you know that. Uh, yeah, I think those are going to be put somewhere uh, secure, like in Papillon. All right. <laughs> That's only one pair, though. And so forth. Matt Green, thank you. You're a good thank person. You. Yeah, thanks, Is there anything you we can do welcome. for you? Rub down, maybe? <laughs> I'll pass on that. Okay. Rick, thank you very much. You let me know. Don't it's don't a thought that counts. It's a mental rub. I'll live with that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Matt nice. Green, there you go. CBS Engineering on the case again. Yay. Right. 503-733-2970. All right, Richie, where am I? Uh, what color am I taking here? All right. Thank you. 
All right, it's time to play uh, trivia from the golden age of comics. Uh, this is for a shot at tickets to see Watchmen this coming Monday. The special screening for the hotly anticipated Watchmen, a comic property that for many, many, many years was said to be unfilmable. Uh, you know, they said the same thing about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and to be honest, I think that that was probably pretty accurate. I think the the, the film of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is is best described as a good try, interesting experiment. I don't know if it's conceded. The, the advance word on Watchmen, though, is very strong. And again, they for a long time, people just said it couldn't be done. Uh, they, there was no way to make it into a movie. And we will see if they've succeeded. The, the word is very positive so far. Um, all right. Uh, hello. Hi. Who might this be? Uh, Kyle. All right, Kyle. I'm going to ask you a piece of trivia from the golden age of comics. If you can get it correct, uh, you can answer correctly, then you will be going to see Watchmen this coming Monday night. Are you ready, sir? Uh, sir. All right. In 1954. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's a good start. Are you? Let me ask you this. Are you a comic fan at all, sir? Uh, more of the movies themselves, but I just thought I'd give it a shot. Are you a fan uh, or knowledgeable about comic book culture at all? You know, the sort of the history of comic books in general? Um, probably mostly from just listening to your show. I might know a couple of things, but right. it's going to be a rare well, this is, um this is not this is not that difficult of a question, which I'm not saying to make you feel pressure. I'm just saying this is something that is known by a lot of people, whether you are a huge comic book fan or not. This is a a big part of American popular culture history in terms of comic books. All right. All right. In 1954, Doctor Frederick Wortham published a book warning that comic books were a bad form of popular literature and a cause of juvenile delinquency. The book caused a sensation and prompted U.S. congressional investigations into comic books and whether they caused immorality in children. So in 1954, a book that is now very, very famous, was published claiming that comic books created juvenile delinquency, resulting in a congressional investigation. Do you know the name of this book, sir? Uh, if you'd like, you can either... I'll give you the option. You can either guess yourself... Or you can have either Sarah Dillon or Dave Schmidtke guess for you. Uh, Don't pick the latter. You can have Sarah Dillon pick for you. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm guessing Dave might be a little older than Sarah, but uh, I guess I'll have to go with Sarah here. Why? Or, yeah. <laughs> or somebody else in the studio. Sarah Dillon? Do you know the name of the 1954 book claiming that comic you books... You can tell, that's, this is why you're asking me, because you saw me over here thinking about it, because I know I know it. ...caused juvenile delinquency, resulting in a congressional investigation. By the way, I'll also say this. Every time you pick up a comic book, less so now, but especially all the way through the 80s, you'd see that thing in the front of a comic book that said, Approved by the Comics Code Authority. And that was a little seal you had to put on there because there was a comics code, not unlike the, the ratings board that rates a movie. Mm -hmm. And comic books had to have certain standards they had to meet in order to get the code. And if you didn't have the code, the seal of approval on the front, a lot of places wouldn't carry them or sell them. So that book came out in 1954. Do you know the answer? Um, the day the earth stood still. That's an interesting guess. No, I'm right. I'm sorry, sir. No, I'm sorry. That's all fail and choke right there. I'm sorry. Right, I don't Kyle. know. Kyle, you have to, uh, but it's, at least you didn't do it yourself, Kyle. So there you go. All I right. failed Thank for you, Kyle. I'm Kyle, sorry. you didn't fail on your own. All right, let's see what we'll do. Uh, we'll do uh, a couple more here. Let's see. This is, uh, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Who might this be? 
Kevin. All right, Kevin. Same question for you. In 1954, a book by Dr. Frederick Wortham published uh, in 1954 claimed that comic books were the cause of juvenile delinquency resulting in congressional investigations. What was the name of that book, sir? Would that be Epic Fail? <laughs> I'll take my book, The Suck, for uh, a thousand. No, I'm sorry. That is, uh, that is also incorrect, if amusing. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll do one more here. Uh, I'm just going to hit the... Let's see here. I imagine it's here. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who's this? Mike. All right, Mike. What was the name of the book published in 1954 claiming that comic books caused juvenile delinquency? Seduction of the Innocent. For the win! Yoza. Well done, sir. Now you got to be on, now on your honor as a man. Did you already know that? Of course I already knew no, it. No, you, you know, Googling it or something, I, I suspected that you already knew it. Just had to ask. All right, you are going to see the Watchmen special preview this coming Monday. Congratulations, sir, and well done. Thank you very much. All right, I'm going to put you uh, on hold. All right, there you go. Uh, Richie, you talked to uh, Mike on the four there. Uh, he knew that Seduction of the Innocent was that book, so there you go. And uh, it's just, it, and by the way, just it really is a fascinating chapter in American history because the Seduction of the Innocent, that book, then followed up by the congressional hearings, uh, hearings into comic books. Um, it's just insane, and I mean, it really was a precursor to the thing in the 80s where the PMRC was investigating everything, and then of course to Dungeons and Dragons being responsible for everything, and now MySpace is responsible for everything. But you know, before it was MySpace or D and D or Heavy Metal Records, it was comic books. And um, there's also, by the way, some great footage you can watch of William M. Gaines, who was the publisher of Tales from the Crypt and all those magazines, later publisher of Mad Magazine, um, testifying before uh, before Congress about this, having to, like, defend himself against accusations that his comic books could drive children to murder. It really was just an insane, insane time in the American, the American governmental process. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, let's see. So I guess we're... Waiting on a scan at the moment, so let's do this. Do a couple news stories, and we'll come back with uh, Kelly Clark. Ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, Dave Schmicky. Thank you, Rick. Authorities in Tamarack, Florida. Ooh, I didn't know. I'm... I didn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> Tamarack, Florida. You know, there's no need to drive. I don't, I don't want to break anymore. All right. That's true. Okay. Anyway, authorities in Tamarack, Florida, say a woman was caught injecting foul-smelling liquid into baby food in a supermarket. Officials say 50-year-old Shirley Ibarra was spotted Tuesday night by Publix employees adding a black liquid that smelled like ammonia to the baby food and juice container. Who wants some ammonia? Mmm, yummy. Here's where things get a little even weirder. Sheriff's deputies said Ibarra told the employers, uh, employee, she was mixing food for her son. Her son is 21. Okay. Creepy. Uh, deputies said it didn't appear that she had tampered with baby food in any other stores, and the public is not at risk. The woman was taken in for a mental evaluation, then to jail, and charged with poisoning food or water. Let me just say this. You know, here's a weird kind of creepy thing. I mean, I guess it shouldn't be creepy, but it is. You know, you can buy baby meat, not baby meat, but you know what I mean? Like, like meat that is made baby into baby meat. food, not baby Wow, meat. that really had me going for a second. Oh, you know, like wow, when you go to the, like the most awkward statement. When you go to like, the, the Gerber baby food aisle. There's like peas and plums and carrots, and then there's meat yeah. in little jars That's, for babies. Well, I, I was thinking of veal right when you said that. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, they uh, no, they're too much. The, the actual babies are they make too, make too much noise. Um, <laughs> the uh, I mean, really, who could even keep them around for six months? They're squealing all the time. Uh, but no, because we couldn't get our our dog Philo had a, um, a little stomach problem and he didn't want to eat, uh -huh. and so he's got you know he's a puppy, so like he can't go more than a day or two without eating because it really starts to screw you up. Right. So we had to get him to eat, and we went to the vet. And we're like, okay, look, he doesn't want to eat his regular food. 
what will he eat? Like, that's the thing. And it's not like a finicky child where you can be like, you'll eat when you get hungry, jackass, go to your room. The, you know, the, the, the dog, you know, you can't communicate with the dog and figure out what's up. So we're like, what will he eat even if he's feeling kind of sick? And they're like, they told us, they're like, go to the baby food aisle. They're like, go to the Gerber section and you can buy little jars of meat paste where they have taken like beef and pork and chicken and just, and just made it into a paste and stuck it in a jar. And sure enough, man, he ate the hell out of that. So uh, you ever got like a dog or a pet or an animal that won't eat? You go by the meat paste in the baby aisle. They'll eat that like nobody's business. So full of hog anus. I mean, who knows what? Full of hog anus. The Dave Schmitke story. <laughs> Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from MrSkin.com. Our good friend Mr. Skin. Hello, sir. How are you? Doing great, Rick. How are you? I am fantabulous. What is new in the world of nudity, my friend? Well, there's two movies that open in theaters this weekend that have nudity, so I want you to be the first to know. Thank you. Uh, one is called Crossing Over, starring Harrison Ford and Ray Liotta. It's a movie about uh, different immigrants trying to get legal status in L.A., and there is a girl named Alice Eve who uh, has some great breasts and butt shots in bed with Ray Liotta, and... Uh, uh, another uh, girl, an Arab actress named Melanie Kaze, is also naked. So uh, tons of, actually a lot of nudity in this uh, immigration uh, movie that opens this weekend. And then there's another movie called An American Affair, which stars Gretchen Mole. It's set amidst the, the intrigue of JFK's Camelot in 1963. And uh, Gretchen Mole has a, a couple of topless scenes, and... Uh, uh, this is the sixth movie she's been naked, and uh, you don't see her grassy knoll, but she is topless a few times. So Gretchen Mole naked in an, in an American affair. That is in theaters this weekend. And I also wanted to mention there's a new show on HBO called Eastbound and Down. I don't know if you've seen this yet. With uh, stars Danny McBride. He's kind of a, a baseball player, a former baseball player who goes back to his uh, where he grew up and is uh, teaching middle school. And uh, uh, Will Ferrell is one of the executive producers on it, and he's been in the first couple of episodes. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, really funny show, but they've been, uh, of course, uh, they're smart on HBO. They always throw some nudity in there. In the first two episodes, a girl named Sylvia Jeffries has been naked uh, on a jet ski. So when I do my Anatomy Awards next year, I'm already eyeing this as the best uh, nude on a jet ski scene of the year. But uh, Eastbound and Down, a pretty funny show on HBO. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And I'm hoping to have a lot more uh, nude reports from that uh, uh, throughout the year. But a uh, good week for nudity, good theater nudity this week. Excellent. All right, my friend. Doing the Lord's work. We will speak with you next week, sir. All right, Rick. All right, thank you. Mr. Skin from com. You've, yes. you've seen it? Yeah. Um, the, a person I was dating was... Uh, like they did film reviews and like TV reviews and stuff, so I got a, a like a screener free, copy, yeah, like a screener copy of the um, the pilot, and it was goddamn hilarious. I was turned off by the title because uh, it just the title's like from Smoking the Bandit, mm-hmm. and so I was like, that. that's it eastbound and down, and I'm like, oh god, it's some Smoking the Bandit but guy. But it's so funny that this guy was like a, a major league like baseball star, and then he loses like I can't remember what happens, like he messes up his career somehow, and then he goes back to his hometown, and he has to become like a teacher. Um, it's really funny. The guy who's the actor in it, he's had bit parts in like a ton of movies. Like he's been in a bunch of uh, like Judd Apatow. Right. Directing. So he's teaching kids in the town where he grew up. Is it at his old school? Is it what? Is it at his old school? Yeah, like I think at his old school, like he sees his old girlfriend and stuff, and he's just like he's a mess. It's it's hilarious, and plus it's HBO, so it's swearing right. and you right. know, nudity. Eastbound and, and down. Drug okay. Use. Duly noted. Mm. Totally watch it. All right. Uh, Eastbound. And down. Uh, Loaded up and trucking. We're going to do what they say, Gabby, don't. <laughs> we got a long way to go. Short time to get there. 
I can't remember the last part of that. Yeah! <laughs> you got Bail! Me. Got me. All right. I'm eastbound. Just watch old bandit run. Don't mess with the Rickster on this stuff. All right. He'll bury you. Uh, we, don't, don't, don't call me that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, it sounded bad when it came out of my mouth. Well, uh... I think that Rick still wins with baby meat. <laughs> yeah. Well. How can you go wrong, really, with that? Yes. <laughs> I have no way to follow that. Full of hog anus. <laughs> Back after this, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week. More from Dave Schmicky as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. So on on the one hand we got paper towels. Uh, wait, no, I did that entirely wrong. On the one hand we got headphones. On the other hand we got no paper towels. And then that's almost a pun because on my paper towels I got no hands. Blah 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 blah. Uh, but the. All right. And where are the new headphones? We can get some for Kelly Clark. Uh, wait a minute. Wait, they were just here. Oh, you know it, that's oh, that's come just on. fitting, isn't it? <laughs> did Matt take them with him? I thought I saw him put them over I swear to God, there. they're... Oh, wait, no. Oh, here they are. Wait, no, that's the recycling box. Why is that even in here? Boy, that's... that's... I thought I gave an order to get rid of recycling boxes. <laughs> Why? I like my recycling box. What? I like my recycling box over here. She can have a recycling box, just not you. All right, I just don't understand where they would have got... They were just here. Oh, for the love of God, I hope that... Uh... Hey, Richie Bristol, will you come in the studio, please? <laughs> all right. Let's all stop before the program degenerates into crazy. All right. Uh, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week will join us here in just uh, just a moment. We'll find out what happened to Ara. Hello, Richie. Uh, will you find out if those brand-new headphones uh, went back to Matt's office with him? All right. Thanks so much. All right. I swear to God, because there was the thing with the almond broken. I thought he broke the whole them deal. over here, yeah. All right. Maybe he took them back into his office, and then, like, I was, gonna, I was supposed to pick them up later and stash them. This, by the way, is this is a microcosm of the whole radio station experience. <laughs> no, they were just here. Am I allowed to speak if I don't? Uh, You'll speak when spoken to and not before. Yes, sir, Mr. Rick Emerson, sir. Now, I just wanted to see if I had that power. All right, there we go. Okay, there they are. Oh, they're on their way okay, now. Okay, Matt put them in the back of the room behind a Thank drape. You, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Well, uh, you know, we want to protect them. Seriously, I was about to have a full-on, like, uh, you know, like Joan Crawford uh, meltdown uh, right there. So, uh, yeah, seriously. Get the axe! Uh, all right. Thank you, Richie. You may go now. Oh, okay. I was just using to make sure. They were... Okay, there we go. Here we go. Okay. Uh, all is right with the world. Okay. All right. Look at us all. Wow. Now we all have headphones. Excellent. We can all hear things. No, so I, I was in the bathroom just now. You know, you wash your hands, and then you, and it's that thing of like, you know, because we've got the, the the motion activated paper towels, which by the way, like a year ago weren't anywhere, and now they are everywhere, and it's that same bread, the e-motion they're called. So it is annoying. the same brand that has somehow just taken over the entire world like some sort of a uh, d- d- dispensorial virus. That and you got to wave like your hand in front of it. Soap dispenser thing. Which that, doesn't ever work, cool, by the way. Actually. Yeah, except, you know, here's the thing is the guy, we, and I know this because the guy who has to replace the batteries, because you don't really think about how do they operate, and they operate with D-cell batteries. We talked to a guy whose job it is to walk through Portland Public Schools with a backpack full of batteries, and he has to change all the batteries on the same day. But as a result... Fast forward, they all go dead at about the same time because they're all changed at about the same time and they all get about the same amount of use. So all the soap dispensers and paper towel dispensers go dead at the same time here. So in the bathroom, I got the dripping hands. I'm like, 
you know, waving my hands ever more frantically, thinking that the problem is with me. No, it's just empty. And then there are no paper towels coming out. And then I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to wipe these on my pants. But it's got to be the back of my pants, like in the knee area, so it doesn't look like I lost control of my functions. <laughs> Maybe I could use... Well, if you're wiping on your pants, you've been sitting on a dirty chair all day, so therefore you just make your hands dirty. Yeah. See, and then, but then it's like, well, maybe I'll use toilet paper. But then the toilet paper, like, it all pills up in your hands, you know what I mean? It gets, like, leads little, like, it leads little detritus. But just, there's uh, paper towels in the kitchen. Yeah, see, and I didn't get a chance, because uh. then I heard the music, and then we were back. So, because I sat frozen with indecision in front of the paper towel dispenser for, like, an hour. <laughs> and then I came back here, and then the headphones were gone. So, but now the... The, uh, the crazy has been uh, has been averted. <laughs> Hello, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm, it sounds like I have had a better day than you so far. Uh, you know, I think our day has actually been... It started out a little rough. He was a little rumpled and has like a bunch of meetings today, but other than that, I, I, I think it's been good. Yeah. I heard about the rumpledness. I, uh, yeah, I overslept. Sorry. This morning I got way too much sleep, which is always like worse than not enough sleep, so I slept for like... Was I went to bed at 11:15 uh, and I woke up at 8:45. Yeah, so like nine you, get and the, hours. you get the sleep the sleep wrinkles. That's well, no good. Mm-hmm. Well, like when your body's all indented and you wake mm-hmm. up, you know, you've been sleeping too hard. Oh yeah, or like like you ever have you ever fallen asleep on something embarrassing, like a tennis racket or something, and you wake up and, <laughs> and it looks Waffle like iron. Yeah, it looks like somebody's made you into a made you into an Excel presentation or something. But so I had like that, and then I'm like running around the house, like I don't have any time to look. Screw it, I'll put a sweater on over this wrinkled shirt. Uh, no time to wash the hair. I'll just mold it into something that vaguely approximates a good look. So, anyway. That being said, I think today's show has been pure distilled genius, largely because of Sarah Dillon and Dave Schmidtke, who is here today as well. Uh, and, of so, course, now Kelly Clark. And, of course, well, now Kelly Clark. It's going to get more fabulous. Uh, so, here's what we're going to do. So, we'll talk about, I, I know you've got, I mean, we should come up with some sort of catchy uh, name for this, but it's like five cool things you can do without spending a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. So that but that doesn't suck. So I don't know what we eventually want to call this. Stuff in Portland that doesn't suck that won't put you in the poorhouse as uh, well. I mean, is Maybe there... an acronym would be better. Uh, I will give you uh, an acronym, and you must work backward from it. The acronym okay. is Smucker. Smucker. There you go. You don't have to do it today. You can work on that. You can go woodshed on that. Thank you for giving more time. I know. I'm uh, on the spot. You may, uh, you may use two. Kelly Smucker minute? Wow. You, you, you can either use Smucker, or you can use... Texahoma. Texahoma, definitely. All right, there okay. you go. Uh, so we'll do that, and then uh, I know you have an observation to make about the slanket, which, just by sheer coincidence, we spent like 20 minutes yesterday on the slanket. Uh, which, which is okay. I mean, I, I, I have bought a slanket, otherwise known as a Snuggie, but I also apparently bought another crappy, crappy thing that Sarah um, is freaking out about. I can't too. even think about it. Because I'm fascinated oh. by weird sort of um, trendy is the wrong word, but, you know, those, like, consumer goods that, like, they... They they emerge, they burn brightly, and then they're gone. Like, how quickly we we, we already forgot about the ShamWow. Like, we oh, sort of okay. left that thing by the side of the pop culture road with the chocolate rain guy. Uh, and then the Slap oh, Chop, yeah. that was like a day and a half when we were done with that. So uh, so we'll talk about that. And then, actually, if you would uh, favor us with your presence beyond that, we're going to have you join us for the top five today as well. Ooh, it's all very great. exciting. All right, so uh, what can people be doing in the... Uh, What's the, what's the Texahoma uh, to-do list for this week, Kelly Clark? The Texahoma to-do list? Thank you for asking me, Rick. Uh, no, some of the cool stuff that's going on this week. Uh, have you ever heard of Lonnie Brune? It's a local comic, stand-up comic? Yes, I believe. Well, Lonnie Brune actually hasn't performed at Harvey's, uh, Portland's only comedy club, for eight years because he was banned because he was too dirty. Like, as in... 
I, that I, he had an off-putting body uh, aroma of no, some kind? Apparently he was making jokes involving bodily fluids that angered the the uh, owner and was summarily booted out uh, after two nights of a five-night run. Is and Lonnie, so, is Lonnie is he the one who... No, used to be on Marconi. Was that Lonnie, Lonnie Brown, the guy no, who used to be on the Marconi Lonnie show? Does Lonnie have, like, MS? Yeah, cerebral palsy. Yeah, okay. that's okay. okay that, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, he's, a, he's a really funny guy. And I've seen him before. So he's performed all around the country. You know, he's got a lot of gigs other places, but he has been working with Harvey's to try to appease them for years, and finally they're going to give him a one-night show tonight. Uh, it's 15 bucks. It's at Harvey's, and it is uh, Harvey's only dirty show. How is yeah. it possible that there's only one comedy club in Portland? I know, I know. That's kind of what we were asking when we started doing the story, but just, we just thought it was hilarious that you get comics getting booted out right. for being too dirty. It's You're just too much. He's too edgy for Harvey's. He's too edgy for Harvey's. Well, and, you know, the owner of Harvey's was explaining that you don't need to be edgy to be funny, and he brought up Howie Mandel and Tim Allen. Wow, really? Yes, really. <laughs> okay. But tonight, so I think it's going to be a different kind of crowd and a different kind of comedy at Harvey's, so we were pretty excited to hear about that. And this guy is just ecstatic. Like, he sees this as his homecoming. Like, you know, he's done great shows everywhere else, but finally he gets to basically pollute the stage in Portland the way it should be. So. I love the idea that, that, you know, that putting the surgical glove on top of your head and covering your nose with it is there is held up as, you know, that's the that's that is gold standard. standard. Yeah. Jim, that's emblematic of the type of comedy that this country needs more of. All right. Yeah, so, you uh, really can't beat how we do it. No. 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 Uh, oh, my th- God, I saw that for the first time. <laughs> on Friday, my friends and I were seeing like, drinking a beer. We're like, is this for real? This is the worst show I've ever seen. I my eyes I I tried to watch it. Is it a my retina started burning. It's him playing like kooky pranks, but it's like a, a room of like thousands of people who are all like Howie Mandel worshippers, and he's up on stage like being all kooky and like dancing around, and then they play pranks on people. You know, here's the the damnable misery of Howie Mandel is, which is a phrase that nobody's ever used before, by the way, in all of recorded civilization, is that he's actually a really talented actor. That's the thing. Like I wish little monsters. It, well, that, St. Elsewhere, I would say, where he played Dr. Wayne Fiscus uh, for, I think, uh, 11 years or something. I mean, he's actually a, a fairly gifted actor within a certain kind of quasi-comedic, uh, you know. I don't him in Bobby's world. I, he's, just, he's not, you know, he's, I would say he's a better actor than he is a comedian. But it's like, uh, you know, I guess the, I guess the, the, the low-hanging cash is on the, uh, it's on the comedy branch. So, you know, what are you going to do? All right. Uh, welcome at Harvey's anytime he wants. <laughs> They're not busy booking Yakov Smirnoff. <laughs> that might uh, actually be amazing. Hey, how about that guy, that uh, the Subway Jared guy? Does he know any jokes? All right, no, he'd be great. All right. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, changing the subject, I was talking to my screen critic, Aaron Mesh, about what movies he was really excited about. And the way he explained it to me, he's like, well, do you like The Wire Season 1 better or The Wire Season 4? So pick. Uh, are you asking me? Yeah. Um, I'm saying for me, season four. Okay, then you're going to watch The Class, which is a French movie. that's actually playing at, a, uh, let's see, where's it playing at? I think it's playing at uh, the Hollywood Theater this week, which is basically about all good intentions that you can have in the world as a teacher trying to mold students and how they can just blow up horribly in your face and yes. make everything depressing. That is the uh, that is the, di- the David Simon way. That exactly. is the oeuvre in which he works. But in case you're a season one kind of guy or gal instead, which is trapped within, you know, a, a community that you don't want to be in and being sucked into the drug trade, you've got Gamora, which is this Italian film that uh, was really big at PIF and is now at Cinema 21 for one weekend. Um, that has been getting a lot of, lot of play. And it's basically about um, crime. It's about the organized crime in Naples. And by and, the way, the, the, I'm just, uh, I'm looking here at this email you sent me this morning, and you were listing off the things you were going to talk about, which is, uh, and the funny thing is that it's spelled 
Gamora with a G here, and then it's spelled Kamora with like a C here. But it doesn't matter because <laughs> both of them in my head, I was pronouncing them Gamera. Gamera and Kimera. And I Gamera, and I thought then it was a movie about the about the fabled Japanese turtle. That is. <laughs> Have you seen the Gamera films? No. Oh, I... dude, they're the best thing ever. Gamera. Uh, they're like they're a Godzilla knockoff, but it's a huge turtle that walks upright and fights monsters. So ima- like that take it, pretty awesome. Take a Godzilla film where he's a huge, uh, they claim that he's a dinosaur, but he's a huge reptile of some kind kicking over a city like a man in a bad rubber suit. Okay. Leave everything that I just said the same, but make it a turtle. And it's like, <laughs> it's like a guy in a huge turtle costume kicking over like Tokyo and then going like... And then flying through the air with, like, he has flame, like, jets that somehow come out of, like, the back of his feet. Um, and then later in other movies, he fights creatures like Gamera versus Zegra, in which they announce that Gamera is the friend to all children. There's really not enough malicious turtles out there. No, so this isn't that, Bill. This, this isn't is this, but else. this does involve tall, skinny, prepubescent Italian boys carrying, uh, in Speedos, carrying machine guns, which is kind of like turtles on fire. Right? Turtles on fire. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, I, I put this on the list, and I wondered if you would give me uh, issues about it. I put down the ballet, which usually I wouldn't do this. How do you feel about ballet? Yeah. Yeah, see? I just nah. watched, uh, well, as I was talking about earlier, I just watched The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And, you know, she's uh, the character that the woman plays, she's a ballet dancer. and That was interesting to watch. Okay, because how I feel about it is usually ballet is super boring. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, you can appreciate it, but it's kind of difficult to get into. Oregon Ballet Theater, our own uh, theater company here in Portland, is actually doing a great show this week that basically does... Um, a mashup of, of uh, African dance and kind of like African dance and ballet. And it's set to a mashup of Bach and African rhythm. So basically it's sort of like, you know, pipe organs and choirs and then like crazy African beats back and forth. That's so really cool. it's kind of a totally different direction for them. And it's actually something that, you know, if you can't really get into the Nutcracker, this would be a totally different version. Also, they're doing this crazy, huge, weird, sexy ballet where it's got like 30 dancers and red leotards. They kind of look like Baywatch gone wild. And they're all dancing around to uh, Rite of Spring. So this the is like Stravinsky piece. Uh, that's really scary. For the pretty fun. For the fifty percent of the emailers that were big fans of Quetzal Levine when she was on her show, on her show, this would be like something that is right up their alley. Then. Oh, that's oh, like okay. something fun. I like. I don't know. I like doing just random new things. It sounds kind of like a Rock Me Amadeus kind of thing. <laughs> something like that. Well, usually, I mean, our company is known for very classic things. Um, you know, exactly what you close your eyes and squeeze them tight and see ballet. And this is a totally different thing for them. The set is gigantic lime green squares that are bisecting the dancers from each other and cutting them off. And they look like giant birds of prey screeching around each other. It's really cool. The thing, totally here, different. My thought on ballet is this, and I sort of echo what Sarah says in the, the sort of you can appreciate it even if it's not your deal. I equate people who are really gifted at, uh, at a specific kind of dance. Mm-hmm. To me, they're like the guy who was able to um, to like uh, carve a replica of the Chrysler Building out of a grain of rice uh, at Pike Place <laughs> Public Market. Like, it's really impressive. I couldn't do it. I don't really care if I can do it, and mm-hmm. I probably am not going to sit and watch you do it. But uh, here, here's three dollars. Are you in the woman, uh, the the wife? Not, guys, not so much in the ballet. We would love to go see you know shows and uh, Portland Center Stage is is, is mm-hmm. one of my favorite places to go to. But uh, yeah, in the Nutcracker, if I ever see that again. Somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I have, I've kind of barred myself from it as well. So I, this is why I put this, because I'm telling you, this is your gateway drug to ballet. There's uh, Basically, Rite of Spring is the dinosaur song from Fantasia. You can't go wrong with that. Thank you. That's I, how I explain thank it. Thank you for making it relatable for me. <laughs> I uh, appreciate so like, that's, it. That's how I first came to it. So you've, you've got dinosaurs stomping in your brain, and then you've got like crazy stick figures doing disturbing things with their bodies in front of you. So really, mm. how could you go wrong with that? Oh, so, sounds great. I know. All right. So uh, in terms of other good stuff to do this week, really, 
really cheap, great food. I don't know if you've ever been to Poshines. It's a car, it's a cafe up in North Portland in Kenton neighborhood. I don't believe I have. It's like a block away from the big Paul Bunyan statue. I've never been to this place. It's this tiny little cafe. It kind of looks like a, you know, sort of like a rehab center. Pointed and painted in bright colors, and there's little tables, and there's, like, kids' drawings on the wall, and, like, kind of like, you can do it kind of things. Uh, but it makes some of the best soul food I've tasted in Portland. Really great steamy hush puppies dunked in honey and gigantic huge chicken wings that look like they were cut off pterodactyls. I mean, for like six fifty for a for you know a, a basket of a basket of chicken wings and some greens and uh, some hush puppies. And by the way, because of you were talking about this the last time you were here, and I had forgotten all about this place. I hadn't gone there since I think the last Rock Fest. You were talking about the. Uh, Potato Hero, Hero Potato? Yeah, Potato Champion. Potato Champion, uh, which is, we decided it was 14th or 12th, something in Hawthorne. 12th. 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 Yeah. yeah. And so what is the deal with that that sort of circle of, you know, those those kind of food carts? Is it, do they not even open until nighttime? What is the what is the <laughs> deal with that? Because they were open at 2 a.m. We went there after the Wednesday 13 show and well, yeah, still that, that little pot of carts has kind of decided that it's its niche, that they're going to be late night for after shows, because there really wasn't a lot on which that Which was side fantastic. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, so we hadn't eaten uh, all day, and we, you know, we, we went to, you know, we had a friend was doing a kind of a get together. We went to that, and we went to Satyricon, and so we're like sweaty and gross. We're like, ah, oh, we got to eat and whatever. And there's nothing open, and then I went, oh my god, there's the French fry place. <laughs> and I know I've been talking about it for like three days in a row, so I really ought to retro build them for this. But we went there, and it was I guess maybe one thirty, one forty in the morning, mm-hmm. something like that. And stood in line for a few minutes, uh, got myself the fries with the uh, pesto uh, mayonnaise. Oh, yeah, that's good. And then right across the way, there was a guy who was um, who was uh, selling uh, uh, like I think we got. Um, and we got, it was like a, a burritos or something. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a dessert thing. And then we got horchata. And it was just, man, it was so fantastic. And it was so cool that it was right. You know, because at like 2 a.m. you're basically going like, well, do I want to sit in the drive-thru or do I want to go get, uh, you know, like Dijon pretzels at the Plaid Pantry? I mean, that's exactly. it. And it was so great to have a real food option and a choice of actual real food. And in, in the case of the fries, at least, made right in front of you. Like, just came out of the, the you know, the, the, the deep fryer. It was fantastic. Potato so. Champion is pretty awesome. So, if you want something to eat when you're not at 3 a.m., yes. you mm-hmm. want something during the day, and you happen to be in North Portland, I want you to go to Poshines. I want you to check it out. The best, you know, stewed greens, uh, really good ribs, just crazy stuff. And a non-profit cafe, all the people who run it are volunteers. Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah, it's Excellent. like you feel good, but usually when something makes you feel good, it doesn't taste very good, but this actually tastes great. That makes you feel dirty inside. And I you can know. pop down the street to the Damson Bear. I know. It's perfect. <laughs> Wait, I was going to let you mention that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, where we, uh, that's where Everhart knew that blind stripper who, who uh, <laughs> only fell off the stage once, as he put it, because somebody put an ashtray on the stage. Oh, so. my God. That story is a lot funnier when he tells it drunk. <laughs> yeah, now it just sounds mm. terrible. All right. Uh, and are we at the, Sarah, are we at the top five portion of today's program? Yep. All right. Uh, Kelly Clark, do you have anything else to share with us before we roll the top five? Uh, just one more thing. Willamette Week's doing its own thing. It's called Portland Makes Music. It uh, comes up this Sunday. It's the last Sunday of every month. And it's basically our version of vh one Storytellers that doesn't suck. So uh, we have our music crew come down. They interview uh, whoever's playing, and this time it's going to be pure country gold. So it's basically more decibels than you could ever handle, screaming rock awesomeness, Ooh. and it's free on Sunday. Come down. Where is it at? It is at Sunday Lounge, and if you go to wweek.com, we'll tell you all about it. Excellent. She's Kelly Clark from Willamette Week. Stick around for the uh, top five here. Yeah, sounds great. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at long last, here's your top five for Wednesday. I can't believe we're actually doing this. You have the actual uh, list? You need it? Wonderful. Counting is right. Who should we have counted down? I know Kelly, Dave. 
Who wants to count down the top five? I'm, um, yeah, tell me how to do it. You just, I just go five, four, three, two, one. You just read it, and uh, oh. as you get to each song, we'll play it and kind of riff on it. Then we'll move on to the next one. Okay. So watch for my, we're moving on to the next one. Hand, hand signal. Okay. That's okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here is Dave Schmicky with your top five. All right, number five. That, 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 the whole intro. little intro. Oh, yeah, the whole intro. Okay. Oh, oh God, complicated. <laughs> And as we continue the nation's headlong plunge into a tunnel of blackness and uncertainty, we take a moment to examine the depiction of chaos and darkness in song. These are the top five apocalyptic-sounding songs of all time. And there's Kevin. an honorable mention there, too. Yeah. Go ahead and start us off. The honorable mention, the gutter twins, the stations. So this is the lead track off the album Saturnalia, uh, which came out, I, I think, in November, something like that. And so it's... Uh, the charming and delightful Greg Dooley, uh, formerly of the uh, Afghan Whigs, and Mark Lanigan um, from the Screaming Trees. Unhappy, unhappy man. Yes. Unhappy and unpleasant. Yeah, but they make me happy. Seriously, though, this record... When this record came out, and I didn't know anything about it, I just put it on and as an impulse, you know, I got it, and it... I it, I went through at least a few days, and it was all during that snowpocalypse time when it was all kind of weird and freaky feeling anyway. Oh, yeah, you you don't couldn't want to leave look the house. This when it feels like the world's coming uh, to No, it. I just put it on when I got up in the morning, and I just let it, and it, I think at like 4 or 5 in the afternoon it was still playing. I, it was just playing over and over and over. This whole record is, and you know, sometimes on an album there's that, there's that final track, and the final track is like the world coming down track. Like uh, like on the New York album by Lou Reed, there's that song Straw Man, and that's the final, like everything is falling apart. You know, or, or Nine Inch Nails, you know, their final track is always a big like, and here is where I pull the trigger. Every song on this album is the final apocalyptic song of the record, or of the movie, that song that plays as the film is grinding towards its dark conclusion, as David Fincher is getting ready to destroy something beautiful in front of you. Every song on this record is is like that. Incredible. Just an amazing record. I cannot recommend it strongly enough. Saturnalia by the Gutter Twins. Dave Schmicking, what is number five? Number five, uh, top apocalyptic sounding songs of all time is Leonard Cohen. Everybody knows. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, God. Everybody knows that the day is so loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody. 
Everybody knows. So when Lara and I uh, were first dating, it, you go through that phase when you meet somebody where it's like, what bands do you like? What bands do you like? And then based on that, you see if there's any sort of a basis for you to continue to have a musical discussion. And I don't ever expect somebody that I'm with to have the same music taste. But I like for there to be at least the potential for some overlap where you can educate them about something, they can educate you about something. You know, she'd never heard really any hard rock or metal to speak of. She didn't know anything about, you know, no no real hip-hop. And I didn't I didn't even know who Andy DeFranco was. Uh, so, but she had never heard Leonard Cohen, and I played this song for her. So we're sitting in her apartment, and I'm like, listen to this song, he's so great. And I just put on the I'm Your Man record. And I think she actually said to me, she goes, this voice is beautiful, but I wouldn't want to be left alone with it. Because she said it was so... <laughs> Just such a doom-laden voice. And the thing about this song in particular is that both lyrically and in terms of the music, it's so relentless. I mean, there's a chorus of sorts, but it's just a brief respite, and it's just that one synth line. Dun, 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 over and over again. And I mean, and just this voice of just, it's like the book of Revelation come to life. <laughs> all right, kind of the top five apocalyptic songs of all time. Number four, we've got Stereophonics, Devil. By the way, we have to uh, thank our good friend Seamus for recommending this. And when he heard I was doing this list, this is the one that he, he's like, you've got to do this or I'll hunt you down and kill you. And having heard this song, it really does. It absolutely fits the list. It absolutely there's, And it does, again, have that things are beginning to fall apart at the seams sound to it. This has that, that 28 Days Later soundtrack. Yeah. Totally. Well, and I don't know anything about stereophonics except they do that one song that gets sampled all the time. That has that line about ma 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 the writings on the wall. I think that's stereophonics. Um, it's kind of embarrassing at this point that I think all my favorite music is apocalyptic music. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like half these songs didn't just come off my uh, MP3 player exactly. in the office. Let me, I don't know, let me check. Yes, I've got all of them. But this, you're, you're totally right when you say 28 Days Later. Why am I thinking that? Is it because of that opening Coldplay? No, this this music in the background yeah, sounds exactly like it when when he's first uh, left the hospital. He's wandering through wandering the, around London, the city. And this is like slowly, slowly building when he's realizing that nobody's alive. Well, you know, for this might be the song, for all I know. I'll play it coming back. I keep thinking about 28 Days Later recently because Danny Boyle won for Slumdog Millionaire. That movie is so good. I never oh, get tired of 28 Days Later. Oh, Slumdog or 28 Days Later? I haven't seen Slumdog. You should see it. It's great. It's nothing, not really anything like 28 Days Later, but no. still great. Nor is it like Shallow Grave, I imagine, which is still one of my favorite films. Yeah. Canada's top five apocalyptic songs of all time. Who's next? Well, number three is Jimi Hendrix, All Along the Watchtower. Oh. I had uh, somebody saying that I should have used the, the um, what's his name, Bear McCrary or whatever it is, the guy that does the uh, music for Battlestar Galactica, because Battlestar oh, Galactica... Yeah. that's well, I was thinking of it too, but it's a craftastic version. I really... And, and I know that there are certain people... <laughs> 
who will talk about the Dylan version being definitive, which I know to, to especially to a Bob Dylan fan, I would imagine it is. Especially because I, I feel like his soul can sing at the best of his creation. Right. And very rarely, in my opinion, is the definitive version done by somebody other than the person who created the song. I'll totally grant you that. Um, I mean, like a lot of other people, I feel that the Hendrix version really captures something at least different than the Dylan version, and certainly that Battlestar Galactica version, which I just don't like. You don't like? Okay, so you don't like it I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. I cringe every time I hear it. Yeah, and... It makes me happy I'm not a Cylon, because then I'd have to hear it all the time. Here's the thing about Battlestar Galactica, because I know you and I are kind of on the same page here. Yeah. All in all, I give the show a thumbs up. It's a net win, all in all, all things told. But it's Mm -hmm. like... But, but boy, you know, oh. it's now become a... Here's the thing about Battlestar. It's become a show that I can now no longer recommend without a follow-up statement. Exactly. It's an asterisk. You, you know, they love it. The Wire or Arrested Development. You go, hey, watch oh, it. Yeah, just watch it. You'll love it. Battlestar, they go, watch it. But there's but, this whole series of crap episodes. And then there's this episode that's just tedious exposition to thwart fanboys from asking questions at the exactly. con. So be be ready for that. Be ready. It, it, it's a st- show that you have to soldier through. Yes. And that's not always what you want to do. This is still just a great song. I mean, just the, just the song itself and lyrically. I mean... Somebody preemptively said, well, you can't use the Hendrix because we hear it all the time. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And as I would say, that's not the song's fault. It's not the song's fault that KGON can't think of anything else to play, even though, you know, it's not the song's fault that Led Zeppelin put out, I don't know, 109 <laughs> songs and they choose the same four. That's, that's not the fault of any. And it's not Hendrix's fault that they just play this and, like, Wind Cries Mary over and over again. I mean... Give Hey Joe a little love. Yeah. I mean, it just, it does, and it sounds like what it describes. It's like the swirling wind, and I mean, and then it actually ends with such a foreboding line, that line that, and the wind began to howl, and there's, and that's Dylan, you know, and there's no, there's no satisfying or calming resolution to the lyrics. Hmm. It's fantastic. All right, kind of the top five apocalyptic songs of all time. Next. Okay, at number two, one of my favorites, Johnny Cash, The Man Comes Around. The Noise of Thunder. This, by the way, this opening? used to sing, come and see, and I saw, and behold, a white horse. Only Johnny Cash could do that and not have it be the corniest gimmick ever. There's no one else who could have done that. I don't know, Shatner. There's a man going round taking names. See, when I read Cormac McCarthy novels, it's like Johnny Cash is in my head saying every word. That's the only way you can do it. Everybody will be treated. Dave, if you sang, I would picture your your voice maybe sounding like... Me too. Mm. Well, you know, I did used to sing in a choir for many years. I can win that man. I I have a real non-distinct singing voice, so it works well in a choir. Not so good at all. And they use this in that uh, that Dawn of the Dead remake, too. Oh, yes, at the very end. Yeah. The terror I like that remake way more than I thought I was going to. I, can I just admit something? You yeah. I don't really care for the original Dawn of the Dead all that much. I mean, it's interesting, but, you know, I to me it's a wholly separate film than, like, Night of the Living Dead yeah. or some of the others. It's just a, it feels a lot more like a grindhouse, like a B movie, uh-huh. and it feels kind of kooky. You know, it feels a little wacky. I can see that. Yeah. I actually yeah. saw the remake before I saw the original. No shame there. Don't worry about it. I don't view it as being kind of like one of the like the ur texts or something that you really need for the whole deal. I Dawn of the Dead is just not it's just not all that compelling to me. Okay. 
I also love with this song that there's a, such a joy to it. There's a joy. Totally. That this is that the record is here, which makes it so much better. And bonus points for using Alpha and Omega. It is kind of a happy sounding song. I mean, there's so much you can say about Johnny Cash, but the thing, he's one of those guys that, like, it's almost impossible for it to sound like hyperbole. You know what I mean? It's almost impossible to say anything about him that is exaggerated or too much because he's just... Because while well, he certainly had his periods of uh, artistic uh, non-productivity, you know, when he was at his zenith, whenever in his career, you know, when he hit those high marks, they were so impossibly high that there's no way to overpraise them. You know, and Rick Rubin obviously is a big part of that toward the end of his career. You, so you got to give points to Rick Rubin for knowing what to do and what not to do. Mm. Wow. Jesus. All right. Top five apocalyptic songs of all time. Number one. One, 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 one. The Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter. I always love the beginning of this song. And just by the way, those that opening little glissando of notes at the beginning is just... And it's so great that this came out in, I think, 69? I think early 69, which is... And it came out right before Altamont, you know? It's like it's like Woodstock, peace and love and stabbings and rapings. Oh, there's a fire. The hell's angels are killing everyone. The great thing about this song is, is it is just such an unrepentant, dark finale and, and a, an, uh, a kiss-off to the, to the peace and love generation. Yeah. You know, it's like the hippies and dancing around in the rain and like calling yourself moonbeam and like stinking and like <laughs> having a bunch of like freaking little children you shouldn't be having and like <laughs> sitting around and like, you know, like swaying back and forth with Timothy Leary. And this song, like in one absolute fell swoop, just like wheat before the side, all of that was just destroyed. I mean, the song is the absolute and that it was then followed up by Altamont. Which is, the, you know, the, the, the total inverse of Woodstock. And that the chorus of the song is rape, murder. It's just, a, it's just a kiss away. I mean, you know, and it's just... And that the song has no chorus, really, in terms of structure. When you think about it, it's just this chord progression. Just repeating over and over like these... It's like this stairway to hell. Just, you know, it's like when the levee breaks. It's just down and down and down and down, and it never gets any brighter. So you and and by the way, this came out like two months before the Manson killings. So you know it was just this absolute final way to just kill off the love generation once and for all. So deeply satisfying. the production became so crystal clear and everything had to be separated into different channels you know when they were mixing and so it's one big muddy wash of sound where you don't know who's playing what or who's in what channel or it's just one big wash of of doom mm. and then of course with storm when storm was here the last time we talked endlessly about this backup singer and whether she is or isn't the woman who sings on great gig in the sky oh, fantastic Take a break. Back after this, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. Stay there. 
That'll be a big up for everybody. I just want to play a little bit of it so you can hear what I was talking about. This is the 28 uh, Days Later uh, theme? Okay. This is by that band, um, Godspeed, you black emperor, with an exclamation mark. Godspeed, you black emperor. The name of the band is, it's like the worst band name in history. Wow. Yeah, but it's a great band. Yeah, Godspeed, (laughs) you black emperor. It's like inversely proportional to worst your name is. Best girl. But that means, but you, but I, but you can't mean that. I have to go to see the image and buy this movie today. The alternate, did you ever see the alternate (laughs) ending? There's three different endings for that. I don't know. Oh, I won't oh. spoil it, because they're on the DVD. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now I'm definitely getting the DVD. Uh, just to finish this conversation we were having <laughs> in the break. So, uh, the last time Laura and I went to Vegas, we stayed at the El Cortez, which is just this old rat trap of a place, which I say with love. I mean, it's charming, and again, it's the oldest still operating uh, casino in Vegas. I mean, it's just so old and so run down, and just so, like, just... You know, the cocktail waitresses are all, like, missing a leg, and it's like, you in the casino, like, the carpet is worn through to the point you can see that you can see the concrete, and... Like, I bought a shirt that says the El Cortez, and I washed it once, and it started to peel off. It was like a bad <laughs> iron-on. Here's here, – we went to Binion's, and it's not like Binion's is, like, top of the line either. I mean, we never stay on the Strip for one thing. We always stay in Old Vegas because the Strip is just, like, frat, frat guys and douchebags. So I'm just not going to do that. But we go to Old Vegas, and Binion's is not, like, a real posh place either. I mean, it's pretty ratty. The only reason people care about Binion's because that's where the World Series of Poker was for a long time. So we're playing uh, – Laura and I are playing poker at Binion's, and the woman who's dealing, her name is Liz – and Liz is, she's the deal on the cards, and she's a pro, and she's talking, so where are you folks from? She's talking to everybody. And, uh, and you know, we say, oh, we're from Portland. She goes, oh, where are you staying at? And we said, oh, we're staying at the El Cortez. And she actually stopped the deal, and she said, why? Why are you staying there? Are they? And then she actually asked, I don't know if she was serious or not, but she actually said, are they paying you or something? And I said, no, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a whole, it's a, it's a kitschy, never mind. And it's like, they clearly didn't get it. So I don't know where we're going to stay. The, the reason this started is because I'm going to be in Vegas to see uh, Britney Spears, uh, the MGM, uh, the weekend of, I guess that would make it like the 26th or something. But we just found out Leonard Cohen is playing Seattle uh, April 23rd, which is that a is Thursday, cool. which is righteous. So. That's so weird that you live in, you live a life where you're seeing Leonard Cohen back to back with Britney Spears. Not just That's that. Awesome. That's you know a what? Contrast. Yeah. You know what I'm also doing that week is Roger Klein. Roger Klein is that week here, all so it's like true. Roger Klein, possibly Leonard Cohen, then Britney Spears, which uh, and that's all like in the space of like four days. Where Dave, where do you stay when you go to Vegas? Well, um, yeah, on a strip. <laughs> well, see, but you're not. But you know what I'm talking about. Like you're not that guy yeah. though. But you know, it's like all the guys with like the backward <laughs> baseball caps, and they're like wearing, you know, and it's like they're like like. Just mouth breathing, mouth yeah. everythinging, and they're walking along, and it's like oh, it's almost like five of them all at once, and they got like, and they look vaguely athletic, if only they weren't quite so fat and stoned. And, and they, those big drinks, you know, the things in the seriously, and they're drinking the margarita that's in yeah. a thing. It's like three feet high, and it's shaped like uh like the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, and they're and they're saying a lot of things like, I don't know, I mean, we could, we could go get laid or something. I don't know <laughs> where are the bitches at in Vegas, and yeah. you're just sitting there going like, Why am I here? Who are these people? That's why I can only take three days of Vegas, and then I got to get out. And, and you know what it is? It's from the minute you get into the airport, from the minute you leave, this is what you hear. Ding 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 totally. ding 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 when I had my wallet, I would open my wallet, and there were two stickers that I had put inside, and that I'd sort of like put packing tape or something over to keep them, you know, pristine. And it, you, I would open them up, and one was from Elvis Arama. Uh, when Elvis Arama is this sort of like low rent, 
Like, there's nothing really good there. It's like a bunch of, like, grade Z Elvis stuff that the guy had bought at auction and it's cobbled together. But the Liberace Museum, which has the world's largest rhinestone, which is like this. It's like the size of a manhole cover. Yeah. And you give me a checklist before I go to Vegas, too. Okay, there's two things. It's really, it's fun. You've got to go to the Liberace Museum because it's so gaudy. I mean, it's like everything you would expect the Liberace. Everything's just crystals, right? No, rhinestones. Rhinestones. There are the hot pants that he wore for the Bicentennial celebration. That's my favorite. Rhinestones. Stone, uh, 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 red, white, and blue American flag hot pants. Yeah. Chafing. Oh, they're so great. Oh, but the knee socks are great in the South. And yeah, a rhinestone. Yeah, it's like the size of 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 like uh, of of a, of, a, it's, of a car. It's massive. It's huge. And there's a big like thing like from Guinness, like world's largest rhinestone. The Liberace Museum is badass, uh, which is the only time badass has ever been used to describe Liberace, but it's great. And I bet I, it's been used before. And maybe oh. not much of a Sarah thing, but depending on what you're into in terms of our, our world and its crazy popular culture, a thing that I recommend strongly if you have any interest in stuff like this, and Tim went and loved it, is the recently opened Museum of Atomic Testing, which is off, the, it's off oh, Tropicana. Wow. So you got, you, if you're renting or you got to take a cab, but it's only like half a mile or something. You, you don't want to walk. Um, and they open it's a, it. Is an, it's a history of atomic testing in America because, you know, they did a lot of that in Vegas forever. And one of the, there are these insane postcards you can see, like back in like you know the 50s, where it was like the casinos would pitch it as an attraction, like come gamble, drink on your balcony while watching an atomic explosion 50 miles away. <laughs> I mean, I must go to this museum. It's yeah, that sounds. Cool. And then there's a lot of weird, creepy, cool stuff as well. I mean, just and it's it's serious. Like it's not a gag. It's not like a bunch of college kids put it together. Like I think it may have been, they may have been in partnership with. Either the government of Las Vegas or with the federal government. It's but it's fascinating. It's twelve bucks and worth every single penny. It is unbelievable. The Museum of Atomic Testing. So, all right. Thoughts on Vegas, Kelly Clark? I've never been to <gasps> Vegas. Oh, really? You are a bad American. Just humor. I'm sorry. Oh, you would love it. I, and I, then I, an I'm awkward so silence to send it over I the know. Room. How can I say sorry so many times? You no, are. no, I'm just saying you should totally go. You would enjoy it immensely. How can you okay. live in this country? You know what? I should just go to Vegas to see Britney instead of yes. Rick. Wait, that would be very giving of him. What do you mean to see Britney instead of Rick? Oh, in my place. Yeah, in your yeah. place. Okay. I thought That's you meant like you would meant, go right? there and then shun me and not, not acknowledge <laughs> I'm over here, Kelly. No, I'm here to see Britney. No, I'm just of here to see Britney, not you. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, I don't think there are any ticket pri- tickets left at the price that, <laughs> that, that I paid them, but there are. What was that thing we found? It was like the toxic package for like $795. Yes, really it gives you like absolutely yeah. nothing extra. <laughs> nothing, like you get like a signed program, basically. That's it. So. Um, Better well, than the world's largest rhinestone right and there. And you can see the Osmonds. Oh, we're trying to see the Osmonds you would on the same trip. You would have to pay me to do that. No. We're oh, trying to no, see I Donnie Maria totally do doing that. their show with the Tropicana. Rick has an obsession oh. with Marie Osmond. Oh, really? And just the Osmonds in general. I mean, That's they're just... I, I never really grew up with them. So. See, it's a, yeah, that is yeah, a, a, that is a generational really thing. Yeah. Okay, I promise. I will... I will I will plan a trip. Okay, but you have to let us share the details. No, I will let you. I will. No, I will plan it. You guys plan it. Okay. Yeah, we're going to be Julie, your cruise director. All right. Do we have time for a story here? Uh, probably not. All right. But we have time for Shameless Horring. Yeah, Shameless Horring. Dave Schmicky. Shameless Horring. Uh, I'm trying to think what to whore myself at. <laughs> <laughs> Television show. Let's see. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Still working on, um, on getting our little home improvement and garden show back uh, on. We're, um, we're in flux. But uh, if you have any any thoughts, any uh, any ideas for potential sponsorship, I am dschmitke at comcast.com. Net. Give so, him money. He's fabulous. Like to throw fistfuls of money. Uh, yeah. For, and, but look, I'm going to tell you this. The number of people 
I mean, it, not that like you needed us to like the people in Portland know who you are because people already knew you and loved you. But I mean, every single time, people are like, I can't. I'd watch him now. Put him on TV. So uh, you can <laughs> well, help with that. I, you know what we try to do is just home improvement stuff the average person can do. Uh, when I screw up, I show the mistake because I hate that when I watch home improvement shows and magically everything always works everything just perfectly. Works out. Mm-hmm. Not realistic. Right. So, and I don't think there's enough uh, chubby fat men, happy fat. Chubby guys doing home. You're not chubby. No. No. So, uh, D. Schmidtke at Comcast.net. That is correct. Uh, we'll put sir. it up on the uh, website, and uh, we're going to be revamping uh, my website, by the way, just because it's been you know it's been unchanged for a while. So I'm going to try to get in like a photo of you or something. Like oh, that. okay. Kelly Clark. Yeah. Well, I'm at week. Thanks again for having me on. What could they pick up, and what might be in it? What can they pick up in Willamette Week? You I shoot. Just <laughs> Actually, we got a cool story on the cover about a killing in room 515. Um, a crazy, crazy story of, of foul deeds happening in downtown Portland. You should pick it up, read the story. Excellent. Everything else on WWeek.com. All right, WWeek.com. We'll have a week on stands now. Dave Schmicky, Dave Schmicky at Comcast.net. We want to thank uh, Dave Schmicky, Kelly Clark. We want to thank Mr. Skin and uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastam. I'm Lisa Desjardins, James Roop. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include David Walker, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM970 to talk in the newsroom. Dave Schmicky on the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Mara Show at 7. Henry at 11. See you tomorrow at 11. Thanks for listening. Watch us next. Bye.